0: Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and seventy nine of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're wow, that's that's real E3 enthusiasm right there. You only get the best from me. That that is somewhat accurate. Anyway, we're <laughs> calling this episode Super E3 twenty eighteen bros because this actually marks the first it's brothers, not bros. It's super
1: oh no, it is super smash. It's both. Bros. I mean, it's spelled bros in the game title on all the game titles, but, I mean, it's brothers. I mean, it's just a thing. Well, you know, pick
0: your poison, folks. It's the Super E3 2018 Brothers or Bros Some people episode. even say bros. Yeah, yeah, it could be the Super E3 bros, which tends <laughs> a whole different meaning. But, yeah, we're calling it that because this actually marks the first time that both you and I went to E3. So that means in this episode, you're going to get both our hands-on impressions of games, both our takes on the show, and ultimately, in a contest at the very end of the episode, both of us providing some E3 swag that you can win. So stay tuned for details at the end for that. Emphasis uh, on ultimate. And what? And not just said emphasis on ultimate. Ultimate, yeah, because because of Smash Bros. You see, um, and you know, but beyond just Smash Bros., it's really this is a jam-packed episode. I mean, we've got Smash Bros. to talk about. We've got Pokemon Let's Go. We've got third-party games, indie games. Thoughts on all the news. Long story short, there are timestamps. RamTown.com. Anyone listens normally knows the deal. The blog post we list everything out for you. But for the very first time, we are also actually going to post this on our YouTube channel. So if you're listening to us over at YouTube.com slash RamNintendoCom, you can also use timestamps with built-in video hyperlinks over there. And the video will just jump you to where you need to go, and it's very futuristic. So you have, two, wow. you have two ways of listening to the show. It's almost
1: more convenient because it actually takes you to it instead of you having to manually... Yeah, it's like over. it's like
0: there's this new invention. It just came out called YouTube, and it's really it's. Been, I think there. I think it's gonna be big. I think like you just need a video about like us a uh, mundane Sunday where you go see a movie from 2009, like Chronicles of Narnia. Like that will take off the platform. I am positive. But in the meantime, we've got e3 to talk about. So let's talk about the main event. Um, let's talk e3 2018. Angel, this is your very first time at the convention, so I got to ask. Like I'm. Not you know, I've been there a few times, so it's old hat for me, but for someone who's going for the first time, what did you think? What were the highlights for you? What what is your take on E three?
1: Oh man, so many questions. Very similar questions, but word so in different ways. I know. It's it's yeah. really enticing. Um, <laughs> so it it's a fun event. There are, it feels like a stripped down Comic Con slash anime expo. And what I mean by that is that at anime expo and Comic con on top of there being an exhibition hall with a bunch of booths from different companies, there's also vendors, and then there's a bunch of panels on the side and a bunch of, like, events going on elsewhere. Mm-hmm. This feels like it's literally, like, it's just the companies on their booths, and that's it. There's they no, do have the E3 scene. There's, like, maybe one or two vendors, and by vendors, I mean some companies, like, not even count. like Square Enix had their own store and Fortnite, I believe, really, had their own store.
0: Microsoft had one outside. Or, sorry, Act- or PlayStation had one outside, and Microsoft yeah. had one in their theater setup. I mean,
1: basically, if you're going with the mentality that it's going to be a big, I would say, consumer-friendly convention, then you might be disappointed, because it definitely still feels like a press-first convention. I, I feel like you just picked... You pick a very interesting year to go to eat I mean it feels like it's kind of it feels like it's slowly transitioning. Like it's starting yeah. to try. Like I mean last year they started the whole Coliseum thing where they have these panels. Yeah. And this year they had the two and there was one I was interested in, but if I wasn't but I mean besides that one, there were maybe like ten total. Or like something. No, they
0: they had they had more this year than before. So yeah, like, but they it, had them all day every day. Well oh
1: yeah, but I mean when you look at the schedule, there's so few of them. Like overall like it's, com- yeah, it's one com- compared compare to the average I mean I think it's because they're all in the same place, right? Yeah,
0: it's one block of panels. You a, can't pick and choose; no, yeah. either decide to go
2: or decide. As not to As opposed to
1: other conventions, where they have a like there's pretty much a panel in like every available room. Therefore, they have like hundreds of panels throughout the entire weekend. Yeah. So eventually, if it gets to that, that will be pretty awesome. Just because I could imagine there would be like there's Sony in one room doing a little seminar on stuff they did on the game's art, and then here's Nintendo No, no they're talking about localization or something. Right.
0: I, I I do think this year to E3's credit, there was more there were more events, like outside events, than there probably ever were. I mean, we had, you know, the Fortnite Pro-Am going on. We had Nintendo Smash Platoon Splatoon tournaments. We had the extra special rarity of parties that were not invite-only. Like Machinima, on the first night, they turned a sports bar into an eSports bar, like an open bar eSports bar. That was kind of fun. They had, like, all... Uh, like Echo Fox and those types of Street yeah. fighter guys all there playing. And then like the last night, Sub Nation, they hosted a uh, Dead Mouse concert for anyone with a badge who happened to be in line early enough. Like in the past, E3 would have one of those things and that would be it. This year, they not only had all these things, but for the first time ever, they actually had conflicting things. Like Fortnite and Smash, their tournaments were simultaneous. That's a rarity at E3. And I mean, you're right. It's definitely... A transition year, I feel like. But, like, it's getting there. There was more, like, outside events to do than ever before, which is a big step forward, I think.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, I can't deny that I still had, I still enjoyed a lot of the stuff at the show floor. I mean, sure, it's nice to look at some of the booths. It was fun. Nintendo's booth it, was kind of nuts. It, it was nice that um, Nintendo implied before the, before the show that you could only play Smash Brothers once at your appointment, and that's literally it for the whole week. Yeah. But we managed to play it for like over 30 minutes the first day just by she getting locked. Yeah, really we were there yeah.
0: around closing time and they just opened it up yeah. yeah
1: like they told me like oh the hours the line is going to be like two and a half hour wait i got in in like 20 minutes got to play and then went back in line then that's when jason went up with me and yep. we played again in like less than another 20 minutes and then the guy just let us play like over and over and over he, again. that guy was ready
0: to go on break yeah. So he just stopped paying attention to us, and then we played what like four matches. We were only supposed to play two, but we played like four. And then he swapped out for the other employee who came in. He's like, "How much have you played, guys?" And we're like, "Uh." He's like, "Oh, are you just starting?" We're like, "Sure, yeah. Let, we'll go with that." Yeah. So we played like six or seven matches back to back, which was really nice. Yeah.
1: So so that was nice just being able to play. The booths a are really cool Smash, too. Yeah.
0: Like the scale of the booths, I feel like is so much bigger than Amex yeah, or the- Comic Con. Like Nintendo's booth was kind of insane. They had a screen that was the yeah, entire uh, width will, of the booth. I
1: will give booth. it that that um compared to yeah even compared to comic-con like the big like yeah like the biggest convention that i could actually think of yeah um yeah there were the biggest booth at e3 was like at least a four or five times bigger than like the biggest booth at comic-con like they just don't really compare yeah like nintendo's is monsters it, it's almost crazy like just seeing like how like when you go to comic-con just because that's a completely i mean it's a different focus video yeah. games are still there used to have the son I mean the Microsoft Sony and Nintendo booth, but now Nintendo is reduced to like a tiny square.
0: They're eighty base square on the show floor and then they rent out a ballroom that you have to walk a little distance to which that's I guess off site. Which yeah. I guess <laughs> which is which, which, which,
1: which technically still give them the most area than any other Yeah,
0: they have the biggest gaming presence at Comic Con year yeah. after year. But yeah, it doesn't compare to a football field long single panel H D screen like, that was crazy. I mean, to be honest, like, not to sort of get too, like, oh, I went to Pastures, but honestly, this year's booth was very boothy. Like, for those who haven't somehow followed Nintendo and haven't seen the booth or want to see, like, a f- our, our view of E3, we do have an article up on the site. It's called It's An Extra. It's 85 photos from the show floor, plus a whole breakdown of how everything was set up at Nintendo and whatnot is called A Trip to E3 2018. It's on the site right now. You can also find it in the um, blog post links for this episode if you're already on the site but not on the gallery. There, there's ways to get to it, but the point is, this year in particular felt very, like, boothy. Last year and the year before, you know, they did New Donk City last year, they did High uh, Hyrule the year before, and those felt like you walked into a theme park. Like, this year had a hint to that. They had these really cool props everywhere for different characters for Smash Bros. I think it was like Twelve props maybe? And they were life size. Yeah. So DK's tie was like you could fit like four people inside that tie. Like it yeah, was
1: if, like, if they're life size, I mean like they're... Mario's head's very really big is yeah. what I learned. Which well, makes sense. I mean if you watch the uh if you, if, I mean, if you if watch I an mean, Nadal played... Mario tennis match. Yeah, I mean you, Mario's if, bulbous. If, <laughs> I mean if you played Odyssey, even though Mario is shorter than the regular humans, his proportions are
0: Yeah. And, like, like yeah. Fox's helmet, like, that seemed a little too big for any Fox of any size. Like, even compared to, like, how he looks against Mario in Smash. But well, I who mean, am I Man to Bayonetta's boots seemed to scale. Bayonetta's yeah. boots seemed fine. Princess Peach's outfit seemed fine. Pitt's double sword was very tall. Um, but, no, it was really cool. They had these. These were kind of, like, nods to the old setup. And, like, you know, where you demoed uh, Smash Bros also looked like the Battlefield. Like, if you're in the competitive side, which is what you did, um, it literally looks like you're playing on Battlefield. Like, they have props and stuff set up. It, it was cool. It just... You didn't have stuff like two years ago where you find a secret corner of the booth, you step on it, and then it starts cooking food elsewhere in the booth. Like that, like the little cooking animation. That wasn't a thing. Or like last year, you know, they had like music cues and weather effects and stuff for New Dong City si, And obviously there's nothing like that. But what they did, you know, given that Smash isn't really a game you can theme a booth around as easily, I thought they did a really good job. I, I like the booth.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, to, I guess kind of like to wrap it all together, like what I say it's worth it. For the price that I paid, which was two fifty, because I didn't pay the early bird. Right, same. I would say it's not worth going. I didn't feel it was worth two hundred and fifty bucks. I had fun, but definitely not worth two hundred and fifty bucks. That was Yeah, this,
0: this was is the first year I paid, actually. Yeah,
1: considering um you pay like a hundred dollars less for Comic Con and I only paid like a third of no a fourth of that for anime expo. And I feel like there's way more things to do.
0: I, th- I think we should preface um, this a little. No, no,
1: okay, yeah, yeah. I'll be it to get Comic-Con ticket. That is kind of <laughs> yeah. like a lottery.
0: We're lucky that we get to go to all these. If someone's only going to one convention and they're a big gamer, E3 is the best of the three hands down. If only, like, if you're going for video games and you only oh, want video Oh, yeah, games, but I'm just talking about, yeah, like, I know, ju- I know, just, just a saying. convention
1: with stuff to offer. Yeah,
0: yeah. In terms of convention, this is definitely a transition
1: year. In, in, ter- in terms of content, obviously, yeah, like, Comic-Con or Anime will so have, like, more bang for your buck. But, like, it... But, it, yeah, I mean, if you're just, you just... I don't know. I mean, because, I mean, obviously, I'm a gamer. I play a lot of games, but it just... I mean, yeah. I'm literally just talking in terms of, like, what I paid versus what I got. Right, and right. It did not feel worth it whatsoever. It's, um, if I had paid the 150 bucks that would have felt a lot better it's just the asking price yeah which is
0: probably why quite frankly they did not sell out of passes from my understanding
1: I mean the way I see it is like they're kind of trying to I mean in my I mean this is just like a conspiracy theory that's just kind of the way it feels because yeah. as I said it still feels like a press event because it's basically just demos there's very little things to offer gamers like it's mainly just press that they want to attract and as such, like, I feel like they leave the price pretty high so that they could just say that it's open to the public because it looks better to say that they're open to the public but still make it expensive that it kind of scares away a lot of people that would most likely I th- go. I think
0: there's an element of truth to that, but I also think at the same time, the only reason they opened it to the public is because attendance was dwindling among industry folk and they needed to justify its existence and make it make the company stick around. So they're like, hey, what if we allow the public in? So part of it is probably just to give the perception they're allowing the public in without having to deal with the extra crowd control. And part of it is probably they actually do want some crowds because they were, you know, the last couple of years we three before they went public, it was kind of empty. It was like 20,000 less than it used to be. So it's probably a mix of the two. I mean, I, w- I will say they now are dealing with crowd control. I mean, they have security checkpoints. They had, t- uh, quarantine to a I was with, they have 10 to 14 bomb-sniffing dogs on the show floor at any given moment, which they never used to do in this industry only because, like, who's going to show up with, like, these guys are vetted. They're from companies. They're legit versus just Joe Schmo who pays 250 walks in and Reeks havoc, so. yeah, but but I will say like we're we're it, it definitely has a transition year, but two e e3s I credit. mean, it
1: feels like it can only get better, and it feels like eventually it will. And there worse. were really cool moments.
0: I mean, you did a Smash Bros tournament and won. I did. Yeah, you want talk explain what I'm talking about? I could explain it if you want, but no, 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 it's good. So in a nutshell, he there's a competitive side of Smash and non competitive side. He did the competitive side of the demo, and he worked his way through four free throws. Awesome. I was gonna explain it. Oh, I thought you said it's all good. So no, I like, no oh, I, okay.
1: yeah, I, it's all good as in I can do it. Oh,
0: well, please pick up where I left off.
1: <laughs> so as you said, there's a competitive and a for fun side. I did not want to do the for fun side because we obviously had enough of that the day before. Yeah. And I and I wanted to play one one versus one, but I didn't know. I thought it was just going to be you play one versus one and that's it. And the winner gets the medal. Turns out you have to go through different levels, different stages of the competition. There's four. Oh, there's three. There's three different battles before you get to your one v one, and it's really cool how they did it. As Jason described, there's like a battlefield type stage, but it's kind of like a pyramid. You, everyone starts on level one, like the first step, where there's four TV set up with four people in each. And during that round, you do two free for all games. The only item on is smash balls, and then whoever wins first place in two of those games move on to the second round. So they pulled two winners from each TV, and then they created another group of four. And I don't know. I mean, I was really nervous just because it was a free-for-all. I was expecting 1v1 free-for-alls feel like they're more of a coin toss if you're going to win or not.
0: I even win free-for-alls, and I suck at Smash.
1: Like Yeah. I yeah. But I managed, to, I but I managed to win first place twice in those. So they had to pick – so they had to go with whoever won second place. Yeah. And then when you win, they give you – well, yeah, they give you a little – a pin, a Smash Bros. pin,
0: which you also get for playing the for uh, for fun mode. So. Yeah.
1: So then you go up to the second tier where they play with another with another group of four, and then this time you play another two games, and the winner of the second game only that person goes to the free for all. So everyone's immediately eliminated, and you win a towel for making it to Smash that Bros. Level.
0: logo towel, part of our prize pack at the end of the show. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Not to
1: definitely flag I did content. not expect, and. Yeah. Yeah, so I won both the next two free-for-alls and starting to feel a little better. And then I made it all the way to the top and there's this, this guy just chatting with you until the other guy, your opponent, gets to the TV and, yeah, and then you play your 1v1. And it has a commentator, right? Yeah, it's it? a commentator. And they're, they're showing it on, sometimes, on the
0: giant screen. Yeah, they, they, they take a it. it's like live from the show floor and it's there.
1: Yeah, they put it up there and then, yeah, played the one versus one I I don't know, I guess I was playing extra careful and I almost 3 the person. It was, it was fun.
0: My favorite part of this is they gave you a oh, yeah. cool gold medal which is the exact same medal that Zero won in the official Smash Bros. Invitational. Yeah, only only the, difference is you don't have a big trophy.
1: Well, yeah. The, only, the other thing is that his... um The lanyard or I guess the sash says Smash Bros. Invitational.
0: Oh, and yours just says... Yours is just the Nintendo it, one.
1: Yeah, it just says Switch and Smash Brothers. Yeah. But it's the same medal. Right. But... Um, so basically, what, what we're saying but it was is really we cool. have a I mean, Smash Bros. Champion on our box. I mean, that, that made... You could say I made the weekend because you only get one shot because it's by appointment, so one
0: opportunity. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was like, so that's your if, Yeah, I was like, if I don't win this, like, I'm just gonna be bummed because that's really not b- worth two fifty because <laughs> I didn't even get to play one versus one at that point. Right, right. Like that was like that was the goal, and I mean, I won. Bowser carried the team.
0: Yeah, I think. See, I think the more that E three moves in that direction to doing stuff like that because that's not something they would do at press normally, but the more they move into that direction, the better. Like, I feel like. For me, one of my highlights was um, actually in the E3 Coliseum. We were talking about how the panels were kind of we, you know, were kind of there's only one set, but the set they had, if you were into those games, was really cool. I mean, they had uh, Hideo Kojima doing one. They had a uh, uh, Grim Fandango like live table read of the old script. Like it's cool if you like those games. So for me, what I did is I went to one for the music of Mario and Rabbids, and essentially it was Jeff Keighley interviewing the game's director, uh, David Soliani. You may know him as Mr. Ubisoft crying man. Uh, from last E3. It was him and Grant Kirkhope, who was basically the composer of, like, my entire gaming childhood, like, growing up gaming. You know, he did Donkey Kong Country, he did Banjo-Kazooie, he did the DK rap, like, I, I do I need to say more? And, um, yeah, so it was this panel, and he and Soliani were discussing the amount of effort that went to and Rabbids and how they did the music integration. Like, if you played the game, you you know that music is super tightly integrated into the game. Like, every plant, every, everything, animates perfectly in time to music. And that was all done by hand. That wasn't, like, generated or procedural or anything. That was, they synced it all up manually and did that all themselves. So it's just kind of cool to hear them talk about how that came to be and what they plan to do for the new Donkey Kong expansion, which I think is out next week, like the 26th or something like that. But then, then... Grant Kirkhope busts out a ukulele gave uh, Jeff Keighley and Soliani kazoos, and the next thing I know, they're doing a little musical number of classic Donkey Kong tunes where they're just all kazooing classic Donkey Kong tunes, and it was like for lack of a better word, I guess it was charming but it was one of those cool, like, only at E3 type of moments where, you know, I, I this guy made so much music in my childhood, I was just like, wow, there, there's the dude that, like, all these tunes I knew as a kid he's now just kazooing in front of me, this is with the biggest game journalists on the planet. Like what is happening? So so like that was kinda cool. And like I think I think that's why I year after year I'm always like, Oh yeah I love E three for what it is because you're saying it's not worth two fifty. And I agree if you're paying two fifty you have to really know what you're getting into. But like I like just being in the atmosphere of E three. Like I like just being in the atmosphere of the industry. I don't know, knowing all the like important people around, recognizing game journalists left and right and all that sort of thing. Like there's just some sort of like kinetic energy of that, that I seem to feed off of like you know when we were walking around after we got our badges on Sunday I was just like oh there's this thing and oh there's where Bethesda's gonna be oh someone's sound checking and it turned out to be Andrew WK but it's like oh someone's sound checking what's going on there And do you think Reggie's around do you think we'll see Miyamoto there's Nintendo's SUV with their sticker on it. what's going on there so like it yeah if you're just a normal person that tr- acts normal in these sorts of things 250 might be asking a lot but if you're someone that like you know I I, I exchanged head nods with Reggie this year for some reason, that's a big deal to me. It shouldn't be, but for some reason, like, that was cool. Or, like, we saw uh, Kojima walking around. Yeah. And we're both like, oh, there's Kojima. And, like, for like for me, it's like, oh, that's cool. There's Kojima. And for here, it's like, oh, there's Kojima. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, rocking the acronyms. Yeah,
0: he had some nice shoes. Um, or even, like, I bumped into, like, Doug Bowser, like, four times. He's Nintendo of America's marketing guy. And just, like, you know, being like, oh, all these people are here. Like, you never you're gonna see who you're going to talk to. There's just kind of that, like, it feels like a family reunion with a bunch of family members you never met. So it's a little weird in that regard, but it is kind of nice to be like, I know all these people and faces. They don't know me, but I know them. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is like everyone's gonna have a different E3 experience. But yes, this year is absolutely a transitional year, and it it is making moves in the right direction. But yeah, it's definitely. I feel like you're right. It's definitely still clinging to like its trade show roots. It's it's what's interesting to me about it is that it's not just true for the convention itself but I noticed it's also true with the games and announcements this year. Like it seems like even the publishers are like what do we do with this now? Because um, it used to be you know if you're a trade show you do future product announcements to prep retailers about what's coming this holiday or to get gamers interested in your platform to buy it for years worth of games. And then if you have a public convention what you tend to do is more like short term stuff and games that are out right now or coming out very soon or just came out to get people like you know interact with it engage with it and then go buy it when they get home and e3 is kind of doing both now which nicely brings us to nintendo's lineup because they probably walked this line best between the um the two different like types of convention i mean how how would you how would you rate their e3 what like overall just their line what do you think did you come out with going that was great were you like there wasn't enough like what was your kind of gut feeling by the end of the week about nintendo's
1: like offerings?
0: Just or like, yeah, just like when you came out of it, were you feeling better about the Switch, the same about the Switch, worse about the Switch? How would you like, if you had to give like a letter grade, would you A, B?
1: Um, Honestly, I mean, I guess an A. I mean, I didn't really have anything to complain about. Like just knowing, I mean, as everyone that has listened to the podcast before, like just having yeah. Smash Bros. on the horizon all is, is all I really need. Not to mention that there's still like games that I'm getting through. I mean, even ignoring the, like pretending I don't have a PS4 like i still getting through Breath of the wild there's still a bunch of indie games that like i want to buy this like i mean we just got mario tennis like today yeah yeah and then i had also just i still want to the update for minecraft just came out so i gotta dive back into that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i just got just shapes and beats and like that's already downloaded so that's so
0: fun we got played in indie mixer so fun we'll do a deeper dive into it in a future episode but just like go with your gut people buy that game
1: and then of the games <laughs> coming out like I'm really looking forward to Overcooked 2 we played the like the heck out of that one right. of the first one and then I still want to play Queen Black Killer Queen Black yeah Killer Queen Black I keep like messing up that name tail it's okay
0: they forgive you I forgive you the world the world forgives you
1: like the only like relevant thing in that title is like Queen
0: yeah cause Queen B yeah, and killer because it's one of the three methods of. De- we'll get to it later in the show. Yeah, but yeah, so it sounds like yeah, you're Those happy. two,
1: yeah, and I mean, even the stuff I didn't care about, like I didn't really care too much for um the Ubisoft space shooter Starlink. game, yeah, we'll Star, yeah, Starlink or Paladins or Fortnite. Right. But right. I mean, it's cool that they're it's there. Cool the there. variety, so yeah, it's funny because like with me, I mean, even Dragon Ball Fighter Z, that's pretty cool that it's there. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, I I feel like with me for rating e three, it's. It's weird because it depends on... Cause going back to the whole... Like, Sonic? Uh, oh, I mean... Those, yeah, those doesn't really
1: count, but yeah. No, it, it, it
0: counts. It's on Switch. Well, you said
1: Nintendo, but...
0: Oh, I just... Yeah, fair. Uh, But, yeah, I feel like... I can't... I can holistically look at Nintendo, but I keep... When I try and rate, I'm like, well, am I talking, like, the E3 of yesteryear or the E3 of... T-? So, like, if you look at just the Nintendo Direct itself... Like, they... Oh, I should back up. They did a lot at this E3. Like, they did a lot, but I... I I feel like, I will not exactly call it smoke and mirrors, but there's a lot of big flashy stuff that kind of hid what was actually a lack of substance in their longer term lineup, which is kind of why I'm like, well if you look at what E3 used to be versus what E3 is, like don't get me wrong what they showed looked awesome pretty much across the board, it was a very good year of what they showed, it's just they didn't show much about what's in store in the future, which is weird, like if you look at just the direct we got a total of three new first party games and then some DLC, like that's it there's smash bros ultimate there's super mario party there's fire emblem three houses which isn't out till next year there's xenoblade 2's uh torna the golden country dlc which that's cool but that's not really a full game it's kind of a it's literally part of the expansion pack that they're selling as a retail game separately for some reason so like you i mean you could argue that a game like uh, daemon x machina is counts as first party nintendo is publishing it but it's actually being made by marvel it's not nintendo and I'm not saying it doesn't look cool. Actually, it looks really cool. I'm really interested in that when it comes out in 2019. But like, even with that, still not the biggest lineup, really. There really wasn't a whole lot of meat on the bone, which was then only further ruined by the leaks, kind of, because they spoiled the stuff that would have been like, oh, look, surprise. They didn't, they didn't spoil we... Super Mario Party. Yeah, they didn't spoil Super Mario Party. They didn't spoil uh, Three Houses. They didn't spoil the first-party stuff. But it was more like Nintendo was trying to augment, yeah. hey, we only have three first-party games. Here's a bunch of surprises. Paladins, Fortnite, da 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 dragon ball fire z and then all those got leaked the week before so then when you actually go to the director like okay i knew about this i knew about this i knew about this i knew about this which isn't nintendo's fault like it just feels like you know Fortnite could have been a much big it was a big deal but imagine how much bigger it would have been if like no one knew it was coming that day or like overcooked 2 that would have been a very like oh how neat look at that instead it's like yeah there, there's the, the thing so for me the direct itself is kind of weird in that regard like i'd almost give it like a B, if I had to grade it, I guess. But that said, if you factor in the rest of the week, I thought well, Nintendo. I mean, give me
1: t- over twenty plus minutes of Smash Brothers. Also. Oh yeah, and like, you're gonna
0: give it an A plus plus. Yeah, mean. yeah, you're giving an S rank, basically. Like, perfect. like honestly, like if 100%. I had to give it
1: any demerits, it's the fact that it showed other games.
0: I know, right? Like they might as well just cancel the rest of the lineup. Everything I'm saying is moot once Smash and I mean, comes. And
1: I mean, if you were really gonna go into so much detail, that you're gonna tell me that. Olimar's helmet cracks and then fixes itself in less than a second, you might as well just go through the entire roster instead of just instead of cherry picking. Few. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because I mean some of those things were like, why bother mentioning it?
0: We Fit Trainer has a new face. I,
1: think I, I think mean I that's think, just a fact they shared. I'm just I telling you. Or or going to like, like oh Falco's like smash attack is like a little more unruly, but it like, yeah. it doesn't look that much different. All he's doing is spinning it's, around. I
0: know. It was it was insane. But but so if you separate but if you um not separate, if you Step back from Smash and talk like overarching a bit more. Um, I think if you factor in the rest of the week, a lot of what I just said, like, kind of goes away. Like Nintendo did, a, like what they did is very cool and it helped regain a lot of the momentum. Like they had a great week; they were the number one talked about thing on social media, according to Twitter themselves during E3. Like the number one video game topic of E3 was Nintendo because it was just like all the time they were announcing stuff. Like they basically turned E3 into an event for everyone, whether you're there or not, by having surprise releases every single day. I mean, sometimes even multiple ones. On Tuesday, we got Fortnite, we got Paladins, we got Hollow Knight, all on one day. Then comes Wednesday, and boom, surprise, Splatoon 2 Octo Expansion comes out, which I didn't think was coming till July, but there it was, middle of June. And then the day after that, in a real surprise move, the first ever home release of the original Donkey Kong Arcade game, which was tied up in legal stuff, for like 20 years and there it is on Switch and if you don't care about that how about Xenoblade 2's challenge mode with Shulk in it that was suddenly available or how about like a new Octopath Traveler demo which is like 7 hours long and will port it's basically the start of the full game you're basically getting early access to the full game so they'll all port over the save file like there was a lot going on and that doesn't even count Bethesda releasing Fallout Shelter on Switch you know the night before the Direct or any of the other things that other companies were doing just there was just a lot happening it's so like that overall experience—the feeling of constant surprises—I think gave Nintendo an A rating this year. Like, it it was solid in that regard. Even if the lineup for the future is kind of whatever, they did a great job of focusing on the now, and I thought that that really was like props to them. That was really cool. But but I guess it—the uh, one thing is like I maybe maybe we shouldn't be surprised by this. Like the surprises shouldn't be surprising at this point. Nintendo's been moving more and more in the direction of these kind of short hype cycles. Um, There's an interview. I think it was with Venture Beat that Nintendo's corporate communications director, a guy named Char- uh, Charlie Shibetta, he only seems to pop up in the public conversation about Nintendo at E3, but he always consistently does. And he was saying that Nintendo's more and more going to do these sort of um, shorter hype cycles because it lets them control expectations, basically. So the hype can't eat a game alive if there isn't time for the hype to c- control of the narrative. So if you do Fortnite day and date, okay, no one can go like, oh, are they going to add Nintendo characters? Because it, it's, it's out. You're playing it. It doesn't matter. So so that's kind of an interesting thing that I think in future E3 you probably see Nintendo do more of, kind of going against my whole point about the Direct. You're probably going to focus a lot more on what's happening very short-term and less on long-term. Although, um, actually funny enough, according to him, the prime example I just gave of the short hype cycle, Fortnite, wasn't even Nintendo's idea. Apparently Epic came to Nintendo and said, hey, can we can we just like do it? Can we just announce it and release it all at once? And Nintendo's like, well we're not going to stop you so so here we are um but i I do think it's safe to say that that it worked out pretty well that they did that with fortnite uh because i would argue that fortnite and not smash bros ended up being the poster child of the show this year i mean two million downloads on switch in just 24 hours is an insane number and i mean of course everyone was talking about smash and smash was hugely hyped but it was like it was fortnite that i feel like really bridged the gap between the whole like trade show e3 and the new, like, consumer focused E3. I mean, we're talking about a game that has been out for a solid nine months on other platforms. And it took over a soccer stadium in LA to do a pro am like tournament. And then it took over the neighboring LA Coliseum Stadium, which used to host the opening ceremony of the Olympics for an after party. And they filled the stadium's floor with people for a fortnight after party with Vince Staples and Marshmallow and all these other big name artists. Like, it's this is a game from nine months ago At an old e threes it would never you know it would never uh show up at all and now here it is and it has the most elaborate booth this side of last year's new donk city like they had the battle bus they had dance-offs they had free food they were giving out cookies and popcorn every hour freshly baked cookies they were
1: delicious and like, water contrary and water to Jason's and
0: water that i could have sworn they were trying to do slurp juice with but it was just water and i kept trying to tell myself this can't be water it, it can't be. which I mean, is why
1: he got a slurp juice pin
0: I did get a slurp. Juice. I'm actually really happy with that because slurp juice is one of the more iconic things out of the game. So,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like the a limited edition pin. The disco grenade, though. I mean,
0: yeah, the... actually, yours is pretty cool, disco ball grenade. Yeah, but my point is like,
1: I honestly, it, didn't even, even know 2. slurp juice was a thing until we went to the con. Slurp, shup, shup. The, the slurp juice, yeah. I didn't know it was a thing until, oh, was yeah, no, it's 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 a thing. I've only seen the disco grenade that commercial that keeps pumping up on YouTube, and oh, yeah, I'm sure you're about it. And yeah. And
0: yeah, no, uh, Slurp juice is one of the like, like, there's a few things like emotes, Slurp juice, there's a few like the, the man that hide, hiding in the bushes, <laughs> like, there's a few things from Fortnite that sort of like just the existence of Ninja streaming everything with Drake, like.
1: It's funny you can see Those how much Jason on. is moving his hands right
0: now I'm, I'm flailing about it's very exciting Maybe we should
1: record we,
0: we should do yeah. video one day but uh, no the um, my point is Fortnite's a game with 125 million players they have a hundred million dollar World Cup style competition plan for 2019. that's the jackpot money and yet that's the big game of E3 That's the big game of a show that used to be about the future and it was the one making the most mainstream headlines in the gaming world or mainstream media headlines and gaming world headlines. Because they had the whole crossplay controversy, like the biggest story out of E3, as far as someone who doesn't follow E3 knows, is Fortnite's on Switch, but you can't play it if you have the PlayStation Four version. And I'm talking like big mainstream. I'm talking BBC, USA Today, Fortune, CNBC. Like they they were doing like interviews with Reggie and with gamers and with this, that, and that. It was a big thing. And what's noble about it, from Nintendo's perspective, is that for once they were actually the good guy in the story. Sony was the big bad. They're the ones who were blocking access. They're the ones whose stock dropped 2% when they issued a statement basically going, we have 80 million players. They could play it on iOS and Android and PC. What's the big deal about not being able to play on Switch? That, that was kind of the subtext. Yeah. And yeah, they, they literally saw their stock drop. And everyone was just talking about how Fortnite's now on switch but sony's blocking it so nintendo's getting all this free promotion for switch and how it's this open platform with the hottest game around the hottest system fastest selling system in u.s history and then it's e3 week so if people are curious what's up with the switch they research a little further and boom look at that new smash bros in the fall pokemon let's go in the fall mario tennis this week like nintendo just got so much free pr out of this and it's for a game that's nine months old it's yeah. it's really, like, it's crazy. It almost this almost like a like it different came out again. Right, basically it did, yeah. yeah. It was like
1: another launch.
0: And to Nintendo and Microsoft's credit... Well, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was, essentially. But to Nintendo and Microsoft's credit, they smelled blood in the water here, and they went all in. That Minecraft commercial that came out, like, just the other day, Um, yeah, they put out a 30... You've seen it, right? Yeah. It's like a 35-second ad. It cuts between footage of someone playing on Xbox and someone playing on Switch. And it's all about how they play nice together and... First of all, it's getting a second boost to PR for Nintendo now. Because it's like, look, Nintendo and Microsoft are showing how easy it is to play together. And Sony's <laughs> look one at them hat. tweet
1: at each other. Yeah,
0: yeah, they had like a little cutesy tweet conversation thing. And it's just surreal to see an ad where you have Xbox Green and, Switch re- and Nintendo Red side by side with the logos for respective systems side by side saying better together or survive together or create together. It was, it is weird. It's like when Sonic popped up in a game with Mario for the first time. Or even when Sonic ended up on GameCube for the first time. Was game.
1: that at the Olympics? Uh yeah, or that was it? the
0: first game they did together. But prior to that, Sonic Adventure Two Battle was on GameCube, obviously without Mario. Mm. But it was kinda like that moment. Or when Sonic Advance came out on Game Boy Advance, I think it was the very first yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. It's just like one of those crazy like wow that really just happened. If you if you haven't seen the video, we do link to it um on the blog post for this episode, so it's there to check out. But yeah, it's just it this is the world we live in now 2018's a wild year apparently cause Sony, or Sony's odd man out and Nintendo and Microsoft are friends there's actually some rumors that this could be the start of something bigger, some journalists have heard that Microsoft Nintendo like during E3 they heard rumors that Microsoft Nintendo were up to something I'm hoping this means Banjo-Kazooie and Smash honestly the idea of just rare games of any sort being on the N64 Classic Edition once that's announced that seems much closer to reality now so whatever they're cooking up, keep it going
1: Oh man, but Magic of the Smash, that would be that would be killer. That'd be a huge Can you huge, imagine? And but they're so
0: buddy buddy it could happen. Yeah. That's like
1: I mean we sort of predicted
0: this or saw this coming because, you know, they have um Microsoft's all open at, open platform now and Nintendo was taking whatever they can get, so Yeah. but it's still really cool. And, you know, as absolutely ridiculous as it is for Sony to be blocking cross play just because they want to squeeze a bit more money out of people, which by the way, that's not just me saying that. Uh Sony's the former head of Sony Online Entertainment, which is the company they used to own that did EverQuest and all that, he said, yeah, our policy is this way because we want money. That's all it is. Nothing more, nothing less. He said that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous that Sony's doing this because it sucks for fans of Fortnite since they can't carry over their data. They can't carry over their loot. They can't, they're kind of stuck on whatever system they start on now. And it, it's bad in that regard. But like I said, for Nintendo, we're just blessing in disguise. It is amazing PR like um, Nintendo has never looked this good about an online thing they've ever done.
1: That's true. It's and it's super and weird. And it's and like and super and weird. And usually you never really say that sentence.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I never thought I'd ever say Nintendo did good with online, but here we are. But yeah, so en- enough about what Sony got wrong enough with the higher level E3 talk and how it's a transition here. Let's get down to an here. Let's talk actual games of E3 because there's a lot of them. And I think we're just going to easiest way is probably just divide it up into three parts. we got the first party stuff. we got the third party stuff and the indies. So to kick it off with first part, we've got to, of course, talk about Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So um, you sort of made a reference to this when we were talking about the Direct. We learned an awful lot about Ultimate at the C3. Like, probably more than we needed to know, I would say. I mean, the Olimar Helmet reference you made kind of. Really hones that in that it yeah. has a lot of information. I think over half of the forty-five yeah, minute they, direct they, was they just. Literally, Smash.
1: They literally could have just stopped with that roster video and shown off Ridley, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then they could have just trinkled out all that other info later on throughout the next couple months.
0: It it really feels like soccer. I made this joke on Twitter. I made this joke to you in person, but no listeners haven't heard, it, so I'm saying it again. It feels like Masahiro Sakurai, the, the series head, was basically speed running a year's worth of the Smash Bros. Dojo into a tw- like in a twenty-five minute segment. It was. Like, they used to trickle that so much. You're right. Like, they could have drawn yeah, it like out. The, it was the, yeah, weird. Like,
1: like, the Olimar thing would have literally just been, like, two pictures. Yeah, and, and, and they're and, still doing that, by yeah. the way. They
0: have daily screenshots on the Smash Bros. website that they then tweet out from the Nintendo uh, Versus Twitter account. And, you know, it's like, they've already revealed, here's a lone volpics. The, uh, uh, the star launcher from our galaxy, new item. So, they're still trickling things, even with the yeah. the onslaught. There's the black hole. Yeah, so apparently, there was a reason for the crazy onslaught. It wasn't just, like, we need to pad our... our presentation in multiple interviews uh, the Nintendo Treehouse team was repeatedly emphasizing how this is in fact an entirely new smash quote built from the ground up and that's why apparently they spent approximately 9,000 hours of Treehouse live and 2,500 hours of the Nintendo Direct to emphasize just how different all these little differences are it was a way to show look this isn't just a port this isn't just whatever this is a whole new game where we're doing whole new things as minute as cracked helmets as minute as We Fit trainers face the problem is, days later, Sakurai, he has a weekly comm in Famitsu, right, in Japan, and he comes in and writes in the comm, hey, this game's built off an existing engine. It's not actually entirely new and built from the ground up. So so what I'm saying is we, we have to sell this about Smash.
1: Well, he said um, that it's built off of different aspects of all the Smash Brothers. So like there's nothing new about it. But the engine's Wii U and but Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah which it's, is fine. There's nothing wrong yeah, with It's literally... I mean, I I thought it's no different than going from Brawl to Smash Four. Like, it's basically the same game. There's just minor differences. Yeah, which that, is fine. That's I mean, it's just almost all fighting games. Like, yeah, they they can't all be as revolutionary. as yeah, sixty-four to melee to Brawl. You can't change them too much, otherwise they stop being that game. Yeah, I mean, there's core mechanics in there. I mean, it's funny. Like, I would say there are enough changes that it does feel like its own game. We got to play it a whole bunch. Like, I would say like it does feel like the jump from like. It feels like yeah. How new does it actually feel to you? Honestly, it's weird. It feels like a bigger jump than brawl to smash Wii U. Interesting, but not as big of a jump from melee to brawl.
0: No, that's, that's fair.
1: Yeah. So it's like somewhere in between. So it's a significant difference in just how it feels. Because honestly, like being only able to dodge once in the air makes a huge difference. Right. Like Although, all of a sudden you're now down. they could
0: be directional.
1: Yeah, but even then, yeah, no, I, but know. That, 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 I apparently know. like apparently well. I guess I should say apparently because didn't really do directional dodges too much. Um, but from what I've watched, and I guess maybe that's why I kept um, getting my opponent in a lot of punishes. But dodging yeah. directionally actually gives you much more landing lag. So mm. unless you know for a fact you're going to be safe, it's really not advised to ever do that. Did you do any other stuff? Did you use the new like, short hop that they added? Or I, Yeah, I tried. I mean, it I still felt better to me just do it the normal way. Just cause that's fair. Yeah, and the perfect shielding is really interesting. Like, I mean, yeah, there are enough new little differences that it it feels like a different game. It it's, just it, looks, a lot of the characters right. look so much like they did previously. And,
0: and it's funny because they did bring back even stuff from Melee, like uh, Nate Billendorf, who, or Billdorf, not and Bill Billdorf, who's one of the 3S guys. He, I think he was saying a to us gamer maybe, but I don't remember where I read, but he was saying that uh, Dash Dancing from Melee is back. The thing where you just sort of, like, really quickly, like hit the stick to go left or right, and it kind of cancels out the animation. You sort of scoot across really fast. I haven't seen anyone... T- I mean, I haven't dug that deep, so I haven't really... But, yeah. like, on a, on a general level, no one's really like, oh, the melee thing is back, but it's back. Like, they're really picking and pulling from all sorts of different games now.
1: No. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely there. I mean, it was kind of there in Smash 4. But it's, but, like, full on. Like, but you, he called it out. I mean, you could yeah. only pretty much just, like, dance back and forth. Like, you can't really move. It looks like you're just, like, creating a little tornado where you are. Right. But, yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't bring back wave dashing. I oh, yeah.
0: Like, uh, honestly, me too, because so many people... Like, when we played it in college I mean, a lot, I, Melee, and people abused that.
1: Like, I know I know it's something that Melee players, like, really, really love. And that's, I know, something that I... For them, it's almost like a game, like a deal-breaker. Like, oh, if you don't have wave wave dashing or those kind of ridiculous movement options, then I'm not going to play the game. Yeah. But to me, I don't know. It just feels lame. Like, sure, it's more it's like a cheat it could could be considered more advanced i guess it takes more skill level to put that many inputs in that short amount of time and to like just be that quick and reactionary but Mm -hmm. to me it doesn't look natural like i mean i don't like i don't like seeing characters slide around the stage attacking each other and doing all these weird like animation cancels all the time because then it doesn't look like fox and yoshi are fighting it looks like a glitched out fox is fighting a glitched out yoshi yeah and all of a sudden one of them just like falls this off is the your game.
0: inner uh animator coming out
1: well no it's not <laughs> just that like i mean i like the fights to look natural right no that's and, fair and i it, agree and i like that um i mean when it's intentional and done right like street fighter like they built their whole game is about like comboing and canceling out attacks so it works out for them but for smash brothers like i like seeing the characters run and move around and jump not just yeah slide around yeah I
0: mean, we, I, sh- I should be clear, like, we're talking nitty-gritty details about Smash, like the, the minute technical oh, features, yeah. like, as a casual player... I'll be honest, it doesn't feel all that different when you pick it up. You pick, like, there's my oh, no, yeah, new but you
1: pretty quickly adjust. I mean, I mean, it's gonna be no different than the last piece of Smash Bros. outside of the fact that now you have every character you want, right?
0: I, I think a lot of the new things I enjoyed though that they did add are like the quality of life improvements. I mean, there's this Mario, 60, Mario Kart 64 style, like, battle mode map looking thing that appears to track players, it appears in the corners when players go off screen, and there's little color coded dots for who's who, so you can kind of see where they are similarly when you knock someone off the screen there's now this huge cloud trail that falls on that kind of indicates where the player is being flown to when they get smashed which these things weren't difficult before to track but now that there are times you get lost off screen and now this sort of helps you find yourself like i thought that was a great enhancement honestly it's like a minor thing but it really it really made a difference i feel like like it felt like it should have been there all along the the cloud trail is actually kind of interesting because i feel like did you get the same impression? They kind of look cell shaded. There's a, like a hint of cell shading going on in this game. I think it's a nod to the 3DS version, which was pretty cell shaded to hide the uh, lack of the 3DS's power.
1: But. Yeah, the cloth are pretty shaded. Yeah. They, they had a, some really dark shadows on them, which made them look very cartoony.
0: Yeah, right? And then all the characters, too. Like, it's weird because things are. They somehow have more detailed textures than they do in past Smash games, especially backgrounds. But then, like, a lot of the characters. Feel like smoother. Like, I, I can't put my finger on it. I wouldn't say it's full on cell shading or tune shading or anything like that, but there's definitely some sort of palette change that makes things pop a little more and look a little more vibrant.
1: Yeah, the game is definitely a lot more colorful. It's very colorful. Like, it's if you really look nice. at like side by side comparisons of like some of the stages that already exist, this one just looks, yeah, you know, like just way more vibrant.
0: And you can tell just like you don't even have to do side by side. Like, playing it for the first time at E3, I was like, wow, th- this actually, like, it-, it really looks crisp. It looks colorful. It looks. Not like the Wii one didn't, but something about this just really pops off the screen. Also,
1: I like, like that they made like a real effort just to try to make the game look more exciting to spectators. Yes, like you, the like,
0: title cards. Yeah, like
1: yeah, especially like the title cards, which we've shockingly haven't had any until now. I love those so much. Yeah. they're just
0: loading screens in disguise, it, it, yeah. but they look so good. And,
1: and it just builds up like the hype like before the match, and then when you're playing one on one or free for all if you're like the last two characters left Like oh, yeah the, fi- the stocks yeah the final blow like creates like the slow-mo heavy impact move that just like stops everything and then the match finishes
0: there's also um right. whenever someone dies and you're doing stock you'll fly in these like basically stock trackers from the side that yeah. show how many lives are left out it's made yeah. for esports <laughs> it, yeah it's, it's literally
1: like an esport thing yeah like, the final yeah like the final blow thing and that
0: yeah, I uh, I mean, there's one other thing we need to talk about here specifically before we get into just Smash as a whole, which is the characters in the demo, right? Because yep. there's Ridley now, there's Inkling now. I mean, you, I tried both. I think you tried both. What yeah. would you think? Well, let's start with Ridley because he's the bigger shell shock of a character.
1: Well, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of Ridley. I love the Metroid series, so that was nice to have He's him. been in demand. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really get to figure him out too much because it was a free-for-all. I wasn't going to yeah. use him in the 1v1, but he pretty much just felt like a Bowser with two jumps. Yeah, it's fine because I basically means that yeah he yeah he's just a really heavy hitter that you don't want to be around and he could basically fly so sounds it, like a scarier Bowser yeah literally I I mm-hmm. honestly went in expecting him to feel
0: like Charizard because he kind of looks like Charizard like you know he's got the wings and whatnot but yeah he he does have a lot more range to attack than I feel like Charizard did he does he's the heavy he has the heaviness of Bowser uh, I did kind of like his down B he does this little tail jab thing. But it kind of reminds me of a Little Max KO where you have to actually time it just right because you need to hit him with the point of the tail to actually do yeah, the most yeah, damage. Yeah, you have to, have to be spaced out. So the it's else. very much like I thought it might be kind of more like marked where any part of the sword will do damage, but you really need a, You know, you the tip does the most damage. I feel like Ridley, it's more like you need to... It has to be that point of the tail or basically there's no point.
1: Yeah, also <laughs> so. just like little details. Like he has um his neutral B. He'll like throw fireballs Then you can charge the fireball to throw multiple fireballs. Right, yeah, that was cool. But if... But if if you're charging up the fireballs, if your opponent hits you in the mouth while you're charging, you take, like, 20% damage. Just, like, in the game, because that's just 3 yeah. point. So it's like, oh, it's, wow, they didn't have to do that, but that's pretty I cool. I just love... Yeah, I feel
0: I feel like Inkling also did a really good job of integrating stuff from, like, the, the origin game into Smash in a way that fits Smash while still paying tribute. Like, Inkling... Like, I may be biased because I got first place in my match when I was using Inkling for the very first time, but, like inkling's really cool i mean you swim in ink when you instead of running you recharge your ink the same way you would in splatoon meaning when you swim in the ink you build up your ink but then you also have this neat thing where if you spray an opponent with ink that will actually cause more damage on them when you do attacks so there's this kind of whole like kind of taking the idea much like you know oh the weak spot in metroid is his mouth so shoot the mouth more damage kind of same idea where it's like well in splatoon it's all about your control of the territory so if you control more of the person's face because you cover them in your ink that sounds bad um then you get to do more damage like that's kind of a cool little nod and also it's just a fun character like the side b where you do the splat roller i found myself using that a lot it's really fun to just plow through people it's like a mix of like pac-man side b or like wario's bike or like something like that it, it's just it's fun
1: cool thing is if you see a video of um there's a video out there of like four inklings playing on moray towers Mm-hmm. And it literally looks like a 2D Splatoon. Right? Because like, they, doesn't they look...
0: so perfectly pay tribute to everything.
1: Yeah, like like every, like the stage is getting inked. It's different color inks. Like It looks literally like 2D Splatoon. It's just insane to think about how they had to balance this game. Because, like, I mean,
0: even stuff like, okay, so you duck with the Inkling, right? And because he goes, or she, goes into the squid mode, you basically have, like, a, a dodge anything practical. Like, you duck so low that so many projectiles just shoot right over you. It's like, well, okay, you're obviously doing what they do in Splatoon, but how you balance that with the fact that lots of weapons shoot at a certain height like it's insane how they think all these things through. like that's i think why the ink runs out because that's sort of the flaw of of the inkling is um you might not always have time to recharge your ink fully like sure you can dodge things very well you can roll you can swim around and all that but you you need a minute to really fill back up and you don't always have that so that's i guess that's how they go about balancing it but it's just crazy to think that they have to do all that you know yeah but the the um the other big part of Ultimate is, and you sort of talked about it, everyone's here. It's the fact that I feel like this is the ultimate fan service game. I mean, just look at like everything.
1: I know I love that Squirtle and Ivysaur are back. I love thing a Squirtle. Yeah, you know, Turtle, and I just love Squirtle. Squirtle Squad's the best thing in the anime. I'm just saying. And being able to change midair, like that's huge. Yeah, and that's they don't a get big tired. Change. I mean,
0: and and like now not that. So they brought back all the characters. They brought back what looks to be all the stages, probably many of the items, just not all. I mean, many of the assist trophies, yeah. It's it's nuts. nuts. Like they they the fact that they listened to fans and made Ridley playable. I mean, they turned a meme into a reality. The fact that the ice climbers are back.
1: There's a long quote of Sakurai basically saying like, if we made Ridley any smaller, then he wouldn't be Ridley anymore, and we don't want that. Yeah, we want we we want to go. He
0: literally said it was impossible, and then he made the impossible possible because that is what Sakurai does (laughs) for his
1: fans. Which is also what he said, like, for Pac-Man and for Virgil, like, there is no moves that we can come up with them, so we're not going to do them. And then I mean, next year, they're like, oh, here Dude, you're is. talking about a guy who every yeah. time he finishes Smash
0: Bros. says he's never making a new Smash Bros., only to then make another Smash Bros., so he can then, again, say he's done making Smash Bros. Yeah. I take a lot of what he says with grain of salt when it comes to um, oh, yeah. reasoning. But, yeah, no, it is funny.
1: I mean, he did fight the Ridley thing for a long time. He did.
0: I mean, the Ridley meme has been, like, a 10-year thing. Yeah. And then you know the ice climber demand their back. They brought back Snake, and not only did they bring back Snake, but they gave him the original David Hayter voice, not the new voice that they did for the latest Gear. So like yeah, real like, fan service right there. New with that actor. Just... I uh for Sout- Yeah, yeah. And then they even threw in Daisy. Like there was a whole. Did you know there was a Twitter for account no called Daisy for Smash and all? Yeah, no, Waluigi, but Daisy for Smash. This is yeah. an actual Twitter account. Only a couple thousand followers. They've been campaigning since Brawl, I believe. And they got Daisy. Granted, she's an Echo character, which is just the new name for a clone. Yeah. But, like, still, she's no, still there. cool.
1: Yeah, and then, yeah. like, even... Jamie still got some harassment from that. Who did? Sakurai, or did you think people... Oh, about Waluigi? Show... Yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. I PSA to the internet. If you don't like something, that doesn't give you permission to go harass people about it. Yeah. This should be simple. This should not need explanation. But the fact that people are, like, hounding Sakurai because of Waluigi, of all things... I mean, I understand Waluigi. It's a flashpoint in our culture. The Washington Post wrote a whole editorial about how he's been humiliated by Nintendo. I get it. Yes, the Washington Post. That Washington Post. But nonetheless, like, don't go harass Sakurai. You wouldn't have a game to complain about if, you if you know, if Sakurai didn't do this. Like, be grateful for it. You get people. Like, seriously. Like, I. So, some people are so entitled these days. I can't believe I'm all upset about waluigi <laughs> but no seriously it's really you annoying. got your knickers in a twist I got my knickers in a twist about it but no um yeah it's it's funny because sakurai is really good at listening to feedback because like even gameplay mechanics i feel like he addressed fan feedback final smashes those take forever people turn him off as a result so what does he do speeds them up like he's literally like just he cuts the animations in half he changes the ones that take too long like they just they addressed everything All the Amiibo from Smash Bros. on Wii U and 3DS, you can bring them into this one with the data from the other Smashes, and they pick up where they left off. Like, they literally thought of everything. In fact, actually, Angel, if you need to start your collection again, um, or you may need to start your collection again, because they have already confirmed that they're making the new fires into Amiibos, sort of. At least two of them. Ridley and Inkling are getting I mean, if I
1: get one, it'd probably just be Ridley. I already have an Inkling Amiibo. It looks so similar.
0: It does look really similar.
1: Yeah. So it almost looks
0: like it's a prototype and they haven't actually made the real... Underwear.
1: So as long as the inkling that I currently have works with it, I don't see any reason to get the new inkling.
0: Yeah, it... it
1: That's fair. But I feel like... Are they going to do the
0: others? Like, does Daisy get one? Does Pichu get one? I, I does... Think, I, think they I feel cons- like they
1: have... To- I think they confirmed Daisy had one. Okay, because I'm just thinking, like... Which means Wolf and Pichu and Toon and Young Link will definitely have one.
0: Yeah, it's just like... And Snake. And Ice Climbers. Yeah. And yeah, it just feels like they have to, right? But they've only confirmed two so far. So we'll we'll see. Three. But well, three. Daisy. Yeah, Daisy, you're right. They've shown two, confirmed a third. But yeah, I mean I I hate to say it, you did I know you're saying you're gonna get one, but you, you did sort of make it your mission back in the Wii U days to get the entire set. So your set's gonna be incomplete, technically. Unless you oh. argue it's only the Wii U set. But it's part of the same line. It's all Smash Bros. No,
1: like I said, if I get any I'm only gonna get the new characters.
0: And that's it. Right, I know, but I'm saying like you have all the other ones. You're sort of cut. what other ones? Smash. You have every Smash Amiibo that's been released thus far. Uh-huh. But now you're stopping short on a few. Like which one? Inkling. Technically, I know he looks similar, but technically oh, your set know. will be incomplete. I'm just trying to get in your head about this.
1: Uh, I want. I want make you start I don't, buying. I don't, consider, I don't consider that. All right. I, I think it's dumb if you think that. Fine. Fine. You're dumb.
0: Okay, that is going way too far. <laughs> but you you know it's uh, you know I'm just gonna pivot away from this. I'm just gonna bring up something else. We everyone is here.
2: Uh-huh.
0: The fact that they're doing that, like the concept, to me is it it's interesting. It's not so much a gimmick, like because you could look at it and be like, oh, they just they're it's what the gimmick is every, everyone has to it's get in. That's what every
1: Finding Game fan wants. Yeah, they want that's what I was they gonna want say. new characters, but they also want their favorites to return, and this one has both like you get everyone I mean whether Nintendo
0: cares to outright say it or not this is their big esports play this like look at how every stage can now take an Omega form or this new Battlefield form where it's flowing or turn off or turn off hazards completely but leave the stage structure
1: or how you have the option that literally makes it so like tournaments will have so many more stages now yeah on top of the fact that they basically tripled the stage like, count, like has a bunch of legal stages that I see people play. They have Fountain of Dreams. They have Yoshi's Yoshi Story, and then there's their Battlefield, and then there's Yoshi's Island from Brawl. Like a bunch of the stages now are gonna come to the Wii U one, which had like a handful. It's just nice that we're not just gonna see every fight take place in Smashville. V- in Smashville. Yeah, in the same four Because it's stages. always Smashville and Battlefield.
0: Yeah, and and they they seem to be very conscious of the fact that people are going to be watching this. Like we were talking about all the UI, you know, the um, yeah UI changes with the tile cards and all that. Like that's very much for tournament play, and then having every single character bringing back things like little melee maneuvers and whatnot. Like it, they are basically saying anyone who's been competitive in Smash up to this point can feel at home on the new Smash Bros Ultimate. Like you know, re 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 releasing the GameCube controller further suggesting that the fact that they're gonna have it playable at ceo the uh you know the tournament in literally a couple weeks here they've never brought an unreleased game to ceo before i don't think maybe arms but definitely not like a smash caliber game it's gonna be there they are very clearly going hey whatever your smash is we want you here this is the future of the of the esport this is it Melee's gonna fall the wayside we use gonna fall the wayside at least that's their hope they want Switch and Ultimate to be the game, which leaves us with one remaining question of what's this thing gonna look like in the final form? Like what is what are we in store for? Because we know how multi we know how the game functions. We know there'll be all the characters, but like will we get a proper tournament mode? This seems like Hopefully. the opportunity where they have to do that, right?
1: They have to. They can't miss that up. They
0: can after everything else, it only makes sense. They to
1: need it. to have a ranked online matchmaking. You cannot have you cannot not have ranked online matchmaking. If they don't have ranked online matchmaking, I can't say ranked online matchmaking enough. If they don't have that, they're <laughs> trying
0: to drill it in their head,
1: I get it. I will be so disappointed, just beyond disappointed.
0: Here's another question. I mean that that's a very very good point. Like if you,
1: if you are doing Splatoon a tournament because
0: it has that uh, arms has that uh, Mario Tennis yeah, sort of. just, give, yeah, it, no, just yeah. give
1: it to Smash. The one game where... like It makes the most sense. Yeah, the one game people really care about. And not even just that. that, but okay. And, it, and it's just better overall. They say that, like, no, we, we don't want people to feel better. They lose, but... I think they're over that. But it's worse to match people that are really good versus someone that is just starting out. It's not fun for them because they're just going to get destroyed. And it's not fun for the other person because they're not playing someone at their level. So, I I, I feel like it's a given at this point, but... I don't want to get my hopes up, so... yeah, I'm going to assume they're not going to do it.
0: So then you can't be disappointed. That is a good pessimist view to have. On the flip side, mm-hmm. what is single-player going to look like in this game? Because, I mean, like, if recent... Who cares? Somewhat me. I <laughs> I kind of like... I mean, if, if recent releases like ARMS or even Mario Tennis this weekend are any indication single-player is kind of de-emphasized by Nintendo It's always a mode everyone days.
1: wants, but no one really
0: talks about it. Yeah, it's like... Exactly. Like, when the Wii U one came out, we got give, that weird board game. Just give
1: us an mode and I'll be happy.
0: Yeah, we used to have all star mode.
1: Then we had the weird I board know, game. And by all star mode, I mean, like, you could pick, like, if you pick a three star game, you could pick three different characters for each one. Oh, not even the real
0: all star mode, like, as some sort of truncated yeah. down. All right. But, like, I'm kind so of. that as curious... are fighting,
1: it's like, oh, my first life. Like, you almost pick, like, a Pokemon team. So you get to pick your starter, your anchor, and then actually, you pick in the middle. Kinda cool. That actually sounds kind of cool. So it's like, it's almost like a little. It's Marvel versus mode. Capcom. Yeah. is what you're except saying. you can't tag out except you can't tag unless out. you do. unless you can yeah unless you can ooh, they can't ooh. what if that end up becoming the the standard way to play Smash Brothers well yeah
0: that, that's kind of my question is like how much is actually gonna be new in this game because Sakurai saw of cautioned in the direct that with more. so much time spent on bringing back existing characters we shouldn't expect too many new ones
1: but it said there's still more to review
0: about the right. game so it I itself, think like so. some of the cut characters I've been rumored, like the rhythm having guys Maybe they'll revive those and bring them yeah, here. Because
1: they probably already have a lot of work on them, so...
0: Yeah, and, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a reveal at Evo in July. Like, they're aiming this at that audience. Do a character reveal at Evo. That'd be cool. But, like, beyond just that, like... You know, we talked about how they're adding new items. And I new mean, it comes out. In, yeah,
1: September, or in December, yeah. Last time, when they first announced Smash 4, it went... Had a year. It had a whole year. I think, something like so that. So it went from July a whole year and then the next October...
0: I don't it think it out? Out. Uh, it'd be June, yeah, yeah. It was at least no, no, no. They they put they had it playable at E three only a couple months before, but I think it was known at least at the start of the year, if not prior, in the year prior. So they had nine months minimum, mm. I think, if I remember correctly. But they were doing daily screenshots on Miiverse and everything for a while, so which they're again doing here. So we do know stuff is coming. Like we know there's new stages. We saw the Breath of the... We played the Breath of the Wild one. We I'm super excited for New Donk City yeah, that's been this confirmed. Platoon one. This Platoon one so it's just kind of like how much new will there be like will single player be something like yours Guy? will it be substate's Emissary coming back like basically from what we've seen and played I think we can safely say ultimate lives up to its name the question just becomes how will that be presented to us and in what capacities and we won't really know until we get closer to December 7th when it actually comes out but coming out of E3 excellent game right like I think it's they nailed it Oh, yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. good. So that, that was a whole lot of Smash. Um, the other big first-party game of the show was Pokemon Let's Go. 15 minutes of Smash. Was, that, it was only 15 minutes? I felt like longer. 15. Okay. Well, the other big first-party game was Pokemon Let's Go, and I don't think we're going to spend 15 minutes on this because... Um, oh, my bad. Yeah, it's probably like 40 or 30.
1: It was 23.
0: Well, everyone bust out your... Stopwatches? No, wait. We have to stop. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> no, it point. was
1: 15th since our last point.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay, but yeah. Um, Pokemon. Let's go. This one we're gonna talk about a lot less because I'm the only one that played it of the two of us. Um, like obviously last episode, well, you the only one that fit, stood that in line that, that, that for that. Targeted one. For. And this Yeah. Thing uh, yeah. Well, I'm not the only one, but it's more targeted towards me than you. That's fair to say for sure. I was in line for it, but then I you bailed because you had your uh, competitive thing to do. Yeah, my Smash Bros. Yeah. But I mean, last episode we talked. Sounds to... like I
1: didn't miss anything at all.
0: Well, hold on, I'll get to it. I-, I was gonna say, is the only news that came out of E3 about this game is that the Pokeball Plus accessory is gonna cost fifty dollars to own, or you can get fifty it as part... dollars, fifty, or you can get five zero five zero yes, or you can get it as part of a hundred dollar oh, bundle boy. with the game. And so in the both game cases, $49.99? No, you've got to discount it because you're getting them together. And in both cases, regardless of how you buy it, by itself or Jeez, not, Louise. if. Or well, maybe only if you do the bundle, it's preloaded with Mew. So there's thirty of your fifty dollars right there, Mew. No, but um, yeah, that that's the news. It's a bit surprising. I agree. Um, but what was nice is that the game was playable on the show floor. I mean,
1: I guess if I could use that controller for other games, just to technically, just, it's a, it's essentially a Joy-Con. just to flex the fact like, oh, I'm gonna play Mario Tennis with the Pokeball or it's Smash Brothers with the Joy-Con.
0: You can do it, and it's possible. It has buttons on it? One. Two. Well, let me explain. Let me explain. So, um, b- before yes, it has two. But before I get to the controller, I feel like it's worth talking about how insane the line was for this game, and then I'll talk about the controller and how it works with the game and all that. But just like, just sort of ease us in here. The line was nuts. Nintendo had ten demo units for Let's Go in their booth, five for Pikachu, five for eevee which meant that the wait time for this game was three hours. It actually was four hours on day one but then Nintendo scaled back the demo time from 10 minutes to 8 minutes in an attempt to speed up the uh, the line a bit, which did, you know, to be fair, shave off an hour. So now it's only 3. And it did, to some extent, stop. But you were mentioning you didn't play it because you had to go do Smash because the line was so long, you couldn't... I did play yeah.
1: Street Fighter with someone in line for a little bit. Yeah,
0: no, that guy was cool. I played Mario Kart with him. He actually um, holds, like, some weird records for crazy achievements in uh, Kingdom Hearts. Huh. Yeah, who knew? But, uh, yeah, the, the downside... Of having an eight minute demo of Pokemon is that you don't get to experience very much of Pokemon. I mean the demo itself is really limited. You you get dropped in Viridian Forest, you talk to trainers, you battle, you catch wild Pokemon, but it's less of a showcase of the game and more about the Pokeball Plus and how that will work in tandem with the game. And as a result, I didn't get to see any deeper menus. I didn't get messed with the Pokedex, I didn't get to see how items work, anything like that. Instead I just walked, talked, battled so to your question about how the pokeball plus is it, it it's pretty cool it's pretty solid like the entire experience is pretty solid like i play you are playing using the pokeball plus in the demo it is a cool little device even if it's 50 dollars like it feels really great in the hand the rumble is surprisingly strong it's actually game free claims more powerful than the hd rumble and more uh able to do more Which you know what's in the joy con than what's in the joy con which is neat. And every time you catch a Pokemon, it lights up. The Pokemon's cry plays out of the center of the ball. There's a mic or a speaker in the joystick um, like wedge. And you catch the Pokemon, and it actually cries out from inside that, which is pretty neat. Um, and it feels like the whole game is built with this in mind. All you need are the two buttons it has to answer your specific question. Um, you have a control stick that you move and select things. And you can confirm your choices by clicking in on the stick. And then on the top of the ball, there's a flush button that acts kind of like a back button for canceling that's it the confusing thing is in the game in the demo there are references to the y button but the rep didn't really i'm like what's the what how do i where's this button he's like i oh, can't really talk about that one so i have no idea what the y button is i have no idea how it works i did try pressing back and the stick at the same time that's not the y button more you know but um of what was there with that i got to try with this controller Game Freak did a good job of streamlining the whole game. Like, the whole experience feels really nice. Like, walking around and clicking the stick, now getting menus with it is very natural. felt very fluid. It was really good. There's even these nice little touches, like if you're uh, swapping a Pokemon in battle. You know, you have the six as you would a normal Pokemon game, but if you click in on one of them, it shows all the stats and everything. And then you can just flick left and right, and it'll just scroll between the different stats of the different Pokemon. I realize Pokemon games on DS probably do that, but it just felt really good when doing it in this one. So that, that was kind of nice. And what what's interesting this time around, speaking of stats, is they're all candy based. So in regular Pokemon, you know, you get items to boost specific stats but you're mostly just leveling up, right? Here, it's like in Pokemon Go where candy will drive a lot of what you do. So apparently you trade in multiples of the same Pokemon to the Professor, you get candy in return. Um, this, of course, makes catching a very critical part of the game that wasn't so much in normal Pokemon. But the candy you get actually applies to different stats, different candy for different stats. So... You do collect experience points. You do get exp every time you win a battle, and the exp is automatically shared with all your Pokemon in your party. And I assume that's for unlocking new moves. But I guess, I guess, what type of moves you get might be dependent on which candies you get. Like it's kind of weird. Like it's not the system it was before. And so we we'll see. We'll the, see how on this, the
1: iOS app right. What? Compared to the iOS app? No,
0: this is this is how... Yeah, this is sort of like... It's like a weird amalgamation of the iOS app where you just feed one type of candy and that's it. And the full Pokemon games where you obviously... You know how those work. So it's like a weird... I I don't know. It's kind of half and half. But like regardless, I will say that for the demo, you know, for a $50 controller to expect you to buy, the Pokeball Plus wasn't perfect. Like, the controls were a bit finicky. It would sometimes switch me to the wrong choice where I was pressing in to confirm my choice because, you know, the button is the stick. Um, the rep suggested it may be because I was holding the controller wrong. Game Freak has this idea of the way you're supposed to hold it, but the problem is it's a round ball. There's no indication of right and wrong, except the the flush button should be on the top. So you can't have it be that very specifically precise if you're supposed to, if you're holding a thing that doesn't have a clear way to hold it, you know what I mean? So that, that might, that might, they might have to tweak a bit. They said it was a prototype, so you never know. I think they'll adjust it, um, Even, you know, adjusting in my hand, I still had occasional hiccups, but it did help once I was holding it correctly, so we'll see what they do. The motion controls, at least, work exactly as they should. Uh, As I'm sure everyone knows by now, the catch mechanic for um, Pokemon Let's Go is from Pokemon Go. It's been lifted straight over from it, as has the idea of random encounters, although I am happy to report—or the lack of random encounters, I should say—although I am happy to report that um, there are still random encounters, kind of, in Pokemon Let's Go. So you do see all the Pokemon in the forest, but if you walk through tall grass, it's like the traditional games. You will occasionally have a Pokemon surprise you, the game logic being, well, when you walk through brush in the real world, there could be a small ammo on the ground you don't see, so it's the same idea. So it is kind of like a half and half of the two, which is neat. But anyway, catching itself uh, feels pretty good. It's obviously way simplified because there's no battling. but it does, it does require you to actually do more than just a simple like, throw gesture. The, the controller can detect... Underhand, overhand, side throws. As you get more advanced, they were explaining mm-hmm. to me that um, Pokemon will start dodging a lot more. You can obviously it detects your strength. So if the Pokemon's closer, you want to do a lighter throw. If it's further, you want to do a heavier throw.
1: Don't you always want to do a heavy throw though?
0: No, because it will throw over the Pokemon's head,
1: which is also kind of I mean, true of Pokemon throw Go. A heavy and low. Oh, I see what you're saying.
0: Uh, no, no, it doesn't detect height. It only detects overhand underhand so yeah i guess i could have bowling balled it into the pokemon i mean mean,
1: don't you want to just as hard as you can basically
0: sort
2: of
1: like basically like knock the pokemon out so that no 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 this this
0: is weirdly graphic and real life like no um i don't want to cause a concussion on the pokemon you it it, it's like in pokemon go pokemon center it's like in pokemon go on the phone where you know sometimes you have to flick lightly and sometimes you have to flick harder to make up the difference the thing that actually threw me off the most unlike pokemon go this is kind of annoying um There's a get ready menu option you need to hit every single time you want to throw the ball. Because like real Pokemon, when you open for battle, or for catching, you get you know, uh, fight the Pokemon, or in this case catch it, use an item, or run away. Items in this case being berries, because you can feed berries. But every single time you want to catch the Pokemon, you have to hit get ready, and only then do you throw. And my muscle memory is like, well, in Pokemon Go, you just flick the second, the ball's there. So I kept throwing to nothing and is awkward. <laughs> but yeah, it uh, it kept tripping me up basically. It sounds insignificant and I'm sure you'd get over it pretty quick, but for the demo, for those 8 minutes it kept tripping me up. But I th- I think coming out of the demo, like I I'm pretty happy with what I played. There's all sorts of little
1: touches that feel like step forward I mean, for the franchise. Or the visuals. I mean, did it look It like, looks nice. It looks very nice. Did it look like just an HD version of Sun and Moon?
0: No, it it's a little they the I mean sort of I I liked it. It looked better. Sun and Moon, I think because the um, world is different, it's not tropical, so they're not using any of those same assets. It didn't really feel total Sun and Moon. Like, you could see the connection, the character design's kind of similar, but it just looked like a cool little chibi, cartoony thing. I liked it. I thought it looked really good. And I do like, you know, things like I was saying, like the EXP sharing. Every time you catch a Pokemon, everyone gets the boost. Like, that sort of streamlining is really nice. But um, my concern is that reading up on the game after I played it, I'm starting to wonder if they might actually be making things too simple. Like, I thought it was fine what? for my purposes, no but, way. well, let me give an example. There's a screenshot floating around where you go to a gym, and they're just like, oh, you have a water type. Please go straight to the leader. It's like, do, you don't you don't have to battle anyone? You just go to the gym leader? That seems like really, really stripping things down. So, I, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing that I realized. This is what E3 made me realize when I was training, trying Pokemon Let's Go and talking to the reps about it. This game is not for lapsed fans. This game is for new fans. For fans who are introduced to Pokemon through Pokemon Go. Like, sure, I can enjoy something where you play through the beats of Pokemon Yellow and it has, like, hook into Pokemon Go, and I'm sure a lot of people will feel the same way. And I liked a lot about the demo. But saying something is too simple, I don't think that's fair to the game because it's not too simple, it's just not being targeted at me. It's not being targeted at the guy that knows how Pokemon works, whether I played it a yes, uh, like a week ago or 20 years ago. This is, this is probably true for a lot of people listening. Like, I don't think this game's target targeted at me. I don't think it's targeted at you, Angel. It's definitely not targeted at them. It's, it's targeted at folks who have never played an actual Pokemon game before. And this became very apparent to me when chatting with the boot reps because they were telling me, this one, the guy that taught me about the demo, was telling me how um, people were coming up to the demo and saying this was their first quote-unquote true Pokemon game after Go oh. like they never played a real Pokemon game before this was it this was their introduction and the reason the line was so long was because Nintendo didn't anticipate that there'd be this much demand from non-core Pokemon fans that's what uh, a different person was telling me so even there, even the rep that I told me with the demo uh, the first guy who was saying that you know this was the true Pokemon game for a lot of people um, he was saying that his dad who's in his 60s plays Pokemon Go all the time has zero interest in any other Pokemon game now kind of wants to switch to play Let's Go is that just a marketing thing he was doing to get me more like, oh, this makes sense? I don't know, but I'm taking him at face value, and it doesn't sound um, that crazy when there's stories that come out, like just the other day, about how a 71-year-old man and his grown son were arrested for assaulting someone because they took their Pokemon Go gym. That's wow. a real thing. So first of all, that's insane, but it is absolutely true. Uh, we link to it in this episode's blog post, if you don't believe me. But second, let me repeat the first part why what I said. 71-year-old man that type of guy is the audience that Let's Go is catering towards. Minus the assault, obviously.
1: But, like, that Aggressive 71-year-old men.
0: Yes, aggressive 71-year-old men who play video games with their grown sons who, in theory, might have their own families they could go play with, but nope.
1: But yeah, if you, if you view
0: this entire game in that light, Let's Go makes perfect sense for what it is. It makes sense that the candy system is being poured over for stats, that motion control is just mirroring how touch works, you know, even that's only focusing on Gen 1 again, because... They're literally catering to people who came into Pokemon at Pokemon Go, and Pokemon Go for the longest time was only Gen 1. So all of this is perfectly taking that stuff into consideration. And if you take it into consideration, Let's Go feels exactly like the type of game it needs to be. Like, this feels like the game that, when paired with Smash, will get Pokemon, or not Pokemon, sorry, will get Nintendo to that goal of selling 20 million Switches this fiscal year. It can bring in a whole new and totally different crowd, it's not just gonna be Go players; it's gonna be kids too. The and then you have the more core fan. Again. What? The Blue Ocean. Exactly. Over. And then you have core fans with Smash Bros. Like it's win-win. I mean, to, to be fair, it's not like the two of the the two games alone are gonna have to carry the whole mantle here. I mean, literally every release on Switch this year seems to be doing wonders for Nintendo. May NPD just came out. Watch how I subtly and quickly slide into adjacent sales corner here. But we got May, uh, May NPD sales chart numbers for North America uh, yesterday morning as of this recording. And Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, a port, right? Still number five on the chart, second month that's been charting. And Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition, the third re-release of this game. It's been on three systems, number seven on the chart with only a week's worth of sales. Even Mario Kart 8 still hanging on at number nine. So when you have all that helping Switch have a better May 2018 in hardware sales than May 2017, and when the neon colors Switch Continues to be the single best-selling SKU of any game console on the market. You're on the right track for your sales goal. Even without Pokemon, even without Smash, they're just the ones that are gonna really push over a finish line by catering to different audiences. And the and the takeaway with Pokemon Go was, yeah, this game is perfect for that audience. I'm gonna enjoy it because I still play Go. But for you know, for people that aren't hardcore or aren't casual Pokemon fans, but are hardcore ones like you, maybe it's not for you. But it doesn't need to be. As far as in is concerned,
1: yeah, I mean, doesn't hurt. So, exactly. Doesn't hurt me that it exists. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said before, like it's cool. Like it does what it needs to do, as we said multiple times. Mm-hmm. But definitely not for me. Yeah, which is fine. Perfectly fine skipping it. Yeah, but you know, one game that I think we're both gonna like, and it's it's probably the epitome
0: of the more games the better for sales. Uh, the biggest surprise of E three, biggest surprise is of E three, really, and that is uh, Super Mario Party. And I say plural surprises because their surprise that exists in the first place. And it's a surprise that it wasn't playable on the show floor whatsoever, which is actually very really frustrating. Like, honestly, I really wanted to try this because it looks like a it great comes return. comes out on
1: October 5th.
0: I know. And it looked like a great return to form. Like, why was it not there? I get a whole board game takes a while and you can't demo that. But you could do the other stuff.
1: I know. They could have just done what you're, what is literally only going to be available online. They could have just done, like, The, the online Mario-thon, as they call yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean which the first is, which sounds just like the battle mode from prior games. Yeah, the
0: it is. It's the decathlon kind of reskinned. They used to have a decathlon, yeah. I love them. Yeah. But that one was 10, I think, and this one's only 5. So well, that's right. well, well, before you could pick 3, 5 or 10. Ah, you got okay. you got the output. and now it's 5 no matter what. But I do I do think the online it's like it's about time. Like honestly, it's about time. I think um it, it's it's for those who don't know how it works. It's kind of an interesting system. So you have 5 mini games you play them, back to back against friends or strangers and there are rankings and there are leaderboards you get in-game rewards should you do well it's this whole elaborate thing and it's not a full board game but in a way i kind of get why it's not a full board game i mean if you're playing with strangers the board games can take upwards of an hour right and i feel like the drop off or disconnect rate of any online game that takes that long would be pretty high so unless they made it friends only. I I don't see how a board game online would actually work without just players falling off left and right but going like the Mario-thon route allows them to keep things fast and frenzied and that's kind of the type of atmosphere where online gaming really seems to thrive so I get why they did it maybe if they had a friend-only version of the board games online that'd be cool but I I kind of understand where they're coming from but it's not just the online like there's a lot actually in this that's kind of neat I mean first of all they kind of are going back to the basics they got rid of the car mechanic thank god you actually can move freely now uh, everyone has their own dice block, apparently. Like, each character will have a special dice block, which is kind of a cool idea. Um, but mostly, this is just mirroring a trend that we've seen with a lot of Switch games, which is going back to the core tenets of a franchise. Like, Kirby Star Allies did it. Mario did it with Odyssey by taking the structure of 64 again. Zelda did it by refocusing on the idea of, like, free-form exploration with Breath of the Wild. And now, here's Mario Party doing it, basically throwing back to the style of Mario Parties from the late 90s and early 2000s, which is probably why, if I had to guess, they finally dropped the numbers in the game's name. This isn't a sequel to 9, 10, or 11. This is a reboot that reminds you of the well, nostalgia of really... 1, 2, and 3.
1: Yeah, it would be weird if they go, like, Mario Party 11. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't really sound like great anymore. 10 sounds okay, but... Yeah. That one was terrible, though.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, so this is them basically soft resaying the whole franchise while simultaneously getting the to... Mario Party Ultimate, hopefully. Nah, I like Super Mario Party better. How many games are going to be Ultimate? and then what do they do after ultimate honestly what's well, the next for it to be ultimate? ultimate they have to be every Razzle- mini- every
1: minigame is here so mario party every top- map is here. mario right
0: mario party of the top 100 every every board with and without car <laughs> like no that would be bad but this is definitely like the 90s nostalgia on switch striking again like catering to early mario party yeah it's it's very intentional but the, the other thing is, much like all these other Switch games, they take some core tenet of a franchise and then they just go crazy with it on top of it. So Mario Party is doing some interesting stuff um, besides online. One is there's a co-op mode, which of course there is. It's a Switch game. Every Switch game apparently has co-op. And you and a friend can run around the boards freely as a team. That's all they've said. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds kind of appealing or interesting at least. Uh, the other thing, though, the cooler thing, arguably cooler than the online mode, is the new Toad Rec Room mode. This will require Toad you to rec Toad's rec room. This will, this will require you to put two switches together, face up as tablets. Oh, that's what it's yes. called. Yes, and they sort of link together to form one big connected mini game. It's like a DS where you can move the top and the bottom screens freely. And in the trailer, what we saw was um, this cool little tank game where you're driving between the two screens. in the In the case of the, in the video, they were making an L shape apparently you can configure the shape any way you want, and then you swipe your finger between the two screens, and it just locks them in place. And then you have a battle grid where you're all fighting as little tanks against each other. But you can make the shape. Total freeform.
1: That's pretty
2: cool.
0: It's kind of cool. And then there's a different game. The um, banana
1: one? What? The one with bananas?
0: Yes. So Kotaku got to try a few others, and they reported on it. And there's one with a banana. This is, funny enough, There's a patent a long time ago of Nintendo with a banana split across two screens, and I can kind of morph it around and move it around. And then sure enough, patent became reality same exact mini game. what it is is you have this banana you have two halves of an image and you have rapid very brief time to put the image together basically solve a two piece puzzle mm. so that's kind of that premise I presume it gets more ridiculous as you go further there's also a baseball game this one's not quite as impressive but basically you put two switches back to back in tabletop mode with their kickstands and all that one is the pitcher view one is the batter view you face your opponent like how we are with our computers right now directly at each other and you just play baseball. So I mean, it's it's not that one's not quite as cool because they're not like interlinking, but it is cool that Nintendo has this wizardry of making two switches link together like this. Like I don't even, I don't even understand how that works. Like how it it's just cool. Like this this is the type of wild, weird Nintendo I love the most. And like, imagine if imagine if they did a WarioWare with this sort of stuff. Like just go bonkers with Warrior on Switch. don't yeah, think like,
1: like that'd be perfect. Just like right? weird, wacky mini games that take advantage of the the Mix and matching of the. Yeah, game. and not even
0: just that, but do some with motion controls. Do some with touchscreen stuff. Like the Switch has all these different inputs and methods. Do stuff where you have to, like, take it off the dock and put it on the dock. Like stuff where you have to. Like, there's things you can do, and wherever was the perfect, like, experimentation platform for it. But for time being, I guess we just have Super Mario Party, which in and of itself is fine. There's plenty there. And um, unless Nintendo somehow botches this thing, I'm playing again. It hits uh, October 5th. So. It's actually my first Mario Party in years, but the back to the basics combined with the online, combined with the crazy switch linking, like that's to me a winning combo. I mean, are you what, what is what is even the last Mario Party you bought?
1: Um, I mean, I for a long time I bought Mario Party 10, so I've been playing that. You plan to get this one? I mean, I bought an every Mario Party. I mean, we got one as, for a contest, but yeah. I mean I get all of them as they come out. I haven't really missed one. So you're playing get this one? Yeah, of course. Case? Yeah. It seems
0: very really cool. Why? Well, I mean, I think we're both gonna need a copy to do the multiple. I mean we
1: played anyway. I played on Mario Party two with um my brother in law like two weeks ago or maybe about a month ago and that was a blast. Well so. Mario Party Two
0: is the best Mario Party and that's just fact. Anyone who thinks otherwise is just wrong. So I agree
1: that it I, was probably a fun it has, thing. It has a lot of good aspects, yes, but it's literally the best one. So we can so we're looking forward to this game. <laughs> that's you disagreeing.
0: Yeah, it, it should be good. It should be good. But weirdly, that's it. That's all on the first party front from Nintendo at E3 twenty eighteen. I mean, to be fair, Fire Emblem Three Houses had a cool trailer. it apparently introduced new mechanics like controlling entire formations of people and you could take control of individual characters walking around the world, which kind of feels like a nod to echoes on three DS for those who played that Fire Emblem. But we didn't really see much else. Be, of Fire Emblem because it's not out until 2019, and likewise, we didn't see much else of really any other game. And like, there's no Yoshi. Yoshi seemed like,
1: yeah, you're sure with Yoshi seemed
0: like it was going to be there, but then it turned out the game was delayed until 2019, which I think marks the first official first party delay of the Switch era, unless you count Fire Emblem. It might be Fire Emblem because that, be, that might have been scheduled for this year before it got bumped to spring. E- I mean, either way. I'm just curious to see what Yoshi reemerges as because you don't have a game playable in a demonstration – like a playable, demonstrable version of Yoshi in Treehouse Live at E3 2017 and then have it disappear off the grid and not come back looking different than before. Like, I mean, I get it. If something's not ready, you don't show it. It's why Metroid Prime 4 was a no-show. It's probably why Animal Crossing Switch never popped up. It it goes against the whole Nintendo like short hype cycle strategy that we discussed at the start of the show with the comments from Noa's marketing guy, but Yoshi like that would be a perfect lineup filler for 2018. So what what are they doing with Yoshi? Like where is Yoshi? They're just polishing it. It's like Mario is missing except it's Yoshi.
1: They got to polish. That no, see, thing. I
0: think I think they're doing more polishing. It. I think they're reshaping the game. Like it was it was, it was running. Re- it looked as far along as Kirby Star Allies at E3 a year ago. And then it just vanished while Kirby came out just fine. Mm-hmm. Like, they're doing something. I think, I still think it's going to be Labo integration.
2: Really? That's
0: my theory. Yeah, so The Verge, they did an interview with Reggie and with Nintendo's general of software, uh, Shinya Takahashi. He's one of the Switch's architects. And the two of them kept stressing that Labo is a long-term play for Nintendo. Like, yes, it started pretty well.
1: You gonna say a lost cause.
0: No, 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 no. It's, they're saying the opposite. Because, yeah, it's, it, they, you know, it started strong. It was in the NPD Top 10 when it came out. But there's still a lot of room for growth. And the specific comment that jumped out at me is the analogy Reggie made to the Blue Ocean strategy of the Wii and the DS games from back in the day. Which is funny that you mentioned Pokemon Let's Go kind of leveraging Blue Ocean because here it is again. But he pointed out specifically that Brain Age and Wii Fit had longer tail sales where you know there's this ongoing slow build of gaming
2: uh-huh.
0: people. Get, well, sorry, not really gaming people. Of non gaming people, is what I should say. There's this long term, like this slow build of non gaming folk and getting those non gaming folk into the game through hands on events, through word of mouth, through unique marketing that goes beyond just typical gaming. And if you look at what happened next with those games, Nintendo then tried to bridge people over into traditional ones. You know, Brain Age got people onto the DS, then New Super Mario Brothers came out and it is the simplest gameplay in a Mario game in a really long time. And people were like,
1: oh, I can do that. I'll check that out. Or or like, already taking care of a dog and then ten dogs. Might right, well, right. Might as
0: well become Mega Mushroom Big, or whatever. Or like you know, We Fit came out, and then they doubled down on games Zelda like We game Fit
1: entirely with touch controls. What? Or play the game entirely right. with touch controls. Yeah. yeah.
0: See, the whole touch generation thing was a gateway into the rest. Or like uh, We Fit when it came out, was well, it? Touching they, is good. Touching it was. Yeah. Was. But yeah, or like or sorry, to say with Wii Fit, the, like they, you know, Wii Fit came out, and then they doubled down with like Wii Sports Resort, and they did like Mario, uh, Wii, New Super Mario Bros. Wii, and all these like kind of more, not intros to gaming, but you know, games that are more uh, sort of act as more of a bridge. So I don't see why with these new consumers now coming on board with Labo, they wouldn't extend kind of a similar olive branch of sorts into real gaming by giving them a bit gamier of a Labo experience and Yoshi already has the cardboard diorama setting so that totally fits the bill here right like it seems like it's very easy to morph Yoshi into a Labo game where you have Labo but you also have a game and just sort of have it be this like half step to get people that bought Switches to find more reason to use them beyond just their cardboard
1: well so waiting for that bird expansion to see what that's all about
0: yeah I mean I I think there's definitely going to be more sets of Labo coming out later this year there have to be there's no way they're just gonna ride off the two. especially because the robot one I bombed.
1: time for Christmas, really a bomb?
0: Yeah, the robot one did not even crack the top twenty of the MPD. It was like number twenty four. Okay. The the variety pack was like number four. It did well, but I, I guess I guess what I'm just saying is don't count Labo out. Like what? it's 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 already inspiring copycats at E3. There is this arcade machine thing from Nyko called the Pixel Quest Arcade Kit. It's like Labo. You get these sheets of cardboard, and then you build it into an arcade machine. And you can put your Joy-Con into the slots, and you create buttons and joysticks, and then you can use it to play, you know, like Street Fighter or Metal Slug. It feels like you're playing a little arcade machine. You just have the switch and kickstand mode inside, or in handheld mode. Like it's cool. It's cool. It's more gamery version of Labo. But you know, if Labo bombed, that wouldn't exist.
1: Yeah, just like the last time I went, I went to Target, next in the Labo section, there was a display for Google. I forgot what it was called, Google Haptics or something.
0: To be fair, Google, they did Google Cardboard way before Nintendo did Labo, so oh, Google yeah. just circle Mac.
1: But I mean... No, same idea. Yeah, this, yeah, there's a whole Nintendo, market. But Nintendo's the one that really pushed the marketing to let everyone know. I mean, I didn't know about this Google mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. I went over there and I'm like, what's this thing? It looks just like Labo, except it's more... It revolves more around either you're the sensor of the camera right, or some other gimmick that every... Little project has to revolve around.
0: Well, a lot of them fall back on like stuff like a Raspberry Pi or your phone yeah. is kind of the middle man, and yeah, but it yeah. So I think we're gonna see a lot more Labo, and I think the reason we aren't seeing Yoshi is Labo. But cardboard aside, like I do understand Yoshi not showing up. Like it's not if it's not Ray, it's not Ray. Like you were saying, maybe they're just polishing it. Whatever it is, they have to polish it. But what's more perplexing to me is that Nintendo was absolutely silent about Switch Online. As it stands right now. The service is not launching with a new game. It's due out in September. Mario Party doesn't hit till October. Smash, which felt like a shoe in launch tile, is until December, three months later. Pokemon's not till November. All September has is Xenoblade 2's prequel DLC, which again is that well, Torn of the you Golden could do, Country thing.
1: You could just not start your subscription until Smash yes, Brothers, but like and then pretend that it launched with Smash Brothers. But here, and well, not, no, no, and then, then what well, about Mario Party and Pokemon? In and, between. Then, and then, Come just, on and now. then, just not play online for some reason. I mean, it, sure,
0: well, I'm playing my games anyway, so there you go. But it just it seems weird to launch a service and not have a game that screams "Check out our online service." Like Xenoblade is not that game. That's the only thing that comes out in September, and I'm concerned that the reason this is happening is because Nintendo may genuinely think that the online NES games are enough to launch with, that those are enough of appeal. There was this interview with IGN at E3 that wow, Reggie they did. Are crazy. Yeah, so I'm I'm making an assumption here. I should be clear. Here Reggie in this interview was talking up how Switch Online is basically the virtual console successor. His argument, Nintendo's argument, is that not only do you get these classic games, but they come with online support, more will be added over time. And if you pay twenty bucks a month for that plus cloud saves and online access to your Switch games, it's in his words not going to be any type of issue for us like everyone's just going to do it it's a great deal it makes total sense which on some level is probably true like no matter what you currently play on switch there is going to be this online paywall that pops up in september and it may get you to subscribe even with a big new launch game but it seems to me like kind of a weak way to get new people on board or like perhaps if you aren't invested in a one online game at the moment you know even Mario Tennis Aces will be three months old by then What's going to drive you to check this out at first? Reggie seems to be saying NES games. I'm not sure if i buy that. Would you pay... Would you see Switch... I mean, you're saying you just wait to Smash. I imagine if they launched Switch Online in September with just NES games, you wouldn't be like, oh, God, get in there day one. You'd wait until you absolutely needed to buy it.
1: Yeah, the NES games are inconsequential. They do not sway me in any way to buy Nintendo Switch Online. The only reason I would would be if, say, I want to play... Rocket League with the new Jurassic Park explosion de-animation. Like right,
0: right. But then but then now now flip that around from the tennis perspective. Here's a guy who could have been paying for Switch Online starting in September, but he's now not paying till November or December or January. Whenever it is you hop on. That's revenue lost in the interim there. So it just seems weird that they're willing to take that gamble. Like The only thing I can think of is that they may intentionally be doing a soft launch. I mean, Mario Kart... Uh, Mario Kart... Mario mm. Tennis Aces... That pre-released online tournament they did, we were saying last episode, or two episodes ago, last episode, that we didn't have that many connectivity issues, right? Like, it was pretty smooth for you.
1: Yeah, I would say like 90% of my games were pretty smooth. There was a few that had very bad lag. Right. But it wasn't the kind of that like started and tried to catch up with the frame rate. It was more of a, we're still going to let the game play smoothly. And you're going to be way behind. Yeah, it's just going to yeah. be like a second or two delay.
0: That's why I had two, but only one time in three hours. And yet, apparently... Some folks had such bad lag that caught on as a talking point in interviews. And, like, folks like Bloomberg were saying in live TV interviews with Reggie, like, is this why your stock is dropping? Because you can't do online correctly? So I wonder if there's some level of this where Nintendo's almost like, you know what? We're we're just going to soft launch. We just don't want to – we don't want to have problems. We won't have a big game. Because, like, even stuff like Fortnite where it came out on Tuesday of E3, right? No voice chat. Then on Thursday, there's suddenly an update to Fortnite with voice chat. And I mean that, you know, that's only two days, but they could avoid at least some of this stuff, some of the Mario tennis stuff stuff of the Fortnite confusion by just easing in. Even if they were supposedly easing in for the past eighteen months of free online, maybe they really need to ease in with the paid online too, and that's why they're doing this. Like I, I don't know. I will say though, I mentioned Fortnite. Epic's integration of voice chat gives me so much hope for Switch Online that I previously didn't have. Like, they're not using the Switch Online app. Instead, just plug in a headset with a mic into your Switch, and you're good to go. It's, it's almost, what it should it's, be. It's almost
1: like they know what a gamer wants. It's almost like... It's not what a gamer
0: wants. It's almost like they understand that you don't want four things around you just to talk to someone while playing a game. Like, you don't, you shouldn't need headphones on your Switch and headphones on your phone and the mic on the phone and the Switch on the thing and the pudding pop and the da-da-da. Like, you shouldn't need all those things. It should just be one and done. It, Epic knows what's up. It, it makes sense. And it makes me hopeful that other third parties are going to follow suit and maybe eventually Nintendo themselves will do that instead of the weird smartphone app because like Mm. like Nintendo would be smart to let third parties take the lead here they know what they're doing Epic makes an online game they know what they're doing and this whole idea of like third parties taking the lead I feel like that in of itself seems to be a strategy Nintendo's leaning pretty heavily on this year and warming up to a lot more I mean we've been talking about how they only have three new games coming out first party wise and how Switch Online doesn't have a launch tile and all that but last year they had that stay drumbeat of games every month, right? Like it was a game after game after game. Yeah, after game.
1: it was almost too much.
0: Right, and then this year, what's happening is Reggie's out doing Forbes interviews, where instead of name dropping his own games, Nintendo's own games, he's citing Octopath Traveler and Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate as examples of big new releases that are part of the schedule, like the regular drumbeat of titles. So it, it's hard to say if it'll work. Like Nintendo's stock dipped seven percent after the direct because I think investors were concerned there wasn't a whole lot of nintendo but nintendo at least is like no 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 this is the third party's chance to shine so with that pivot in mind for nintendo let's pivot for ourselves over two third party games we played and saw at e3 um super we're not yeah we're not really going to talk about the ports like dragon ball z, fighter z that's cool monster hunter that's fine uh, we're not going to talk about the games you can download right now, like Fallout Shelter, Fortnite. We'll share impressions of those in future episodes. But I, I mean let's talk the new stuff, like because there's some key games that happen to be quite promising, and it starts with perhaps a game that really straddles the line between first and third party, the most of any of the games, which is Starlink Battle for Atlas. Now, I know, I know you didn't try this one, but you'll get your Sonic in a second. We're good. I guess tag team a bit here.
1: Maybe eventually I'll try out this. It's fun. It's like
0: like for those who don't know what the big deal is here. If you somehow missed it, Star Fox is now part of Starlink, and this was honestly like the coolest surprise of E3. Just because it wasn't hinted at, it wasn't rumored anywhere, and the execution was just so perfect of the reveal. I mean, going from just a random guy on stage like our heroes are going to need a little help to that teaser trailer where they very smartly eased into the Star Fox. Like, it just reminded me so much of Nintendo's old press conferences where they actually had, like, live audience reactions. Like, I had no idea where they were going with this. I heard the gibberish voices. I was like, okay, that's familiar. I can't put my finger on it. Then they saw, like, the red scarf, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, is this Star Fox? And then, sure enough, they panned the logo. I'm like, oh, crap, it's Star Fox. What was happening? That's so cool. So... Yeah, so it's Star Fox and it. The story of how Star Fox ended up in the game is actually kind of funny, too, in the, same, like in the same way that the reveal just sort of worked itself out. Like, you know, it just sort of fell into place, I feel like, as a viewer. Um, the way this game came about fell into place, because apparently, the last E3, some Nintendo employees just went to Ubisoft booth. You know, they walk around. We yeah. saw... A,
1: we saw Ko- Kojima walk in. I mean, it, it sounded like they were just like, move aside. No,
0: literally. Last year, uh, Reggie's security moved me aside. Like, oh. they, they they, walk in a triangle formation, and they spear through the crowd with the head honcho or whoever, Miyamoto, Reggie, whatever, in the middle of the spear. But yeah, they went to the E3 booth uh, for Ubisoft last year. They checked out the game. Then they came back with executives. They came back a third time with Reggie. And uh, by the way, this is what I mean. Like, this is why I love about E3. Just being at a place where you sort of random things happen where it's like, Oh, what's this game? Oh, let me bring some executives. Oh, let me bring Reggie to look at it. Like, that's just being part of the world where that's happening to me. It's cool, even if I'm not privy to it. Like, just the energy of it's cool. But anyway, next thing the Ubisoft Toronto team knows, they're in Kyoto. They're pitching Starlink to Miyamoto and the entire original Star Fox developer team. And here we are. Star Fox is now in Starlink. And after going hands-on with Starlink, I totally get why Nintendo latched onto the concept so quickly. I mean, the big hook is obviously the toys-to-life angle, and it does work really well in practice. So Ubisoft basically swapped out the Joy-Con grip with their own custom controller that comes with a ship holder on top of it. You then have all these different plastic ships, which are actually much larger in person than you'd expect, and you can snap them into the controller at any time to change out your ship in the game. You can also change out the pilot at any time who sits in this little like carved-out part of the ship, and you can change out the weapons at any time on either side. You can even do stuff like reverse the ship's wings and the game will actually reflect it in the digital world. It's, it's, it's really neat. And in all these instances, you just pop them off, pop them on as you see fit. No need to pause the game. It will auto-pause. And then once everything's in place, you just hit start again and you continue where you left off. It's really seamless. And as you could probably guess, each component does something different. So ships have different attributes. Pilots have different special skills. Like they could call it a laser beam strike from space is what one of them can do. Um, And each weapon, of course, does its own thing like shoot a laser or a flamethrower, a big homing missile, what have you. The idea is as you go through the game, you can upgrade all these different weapons as you see fit. It's kind of like a diet RPG almost. So depending on your pilot, you know, you can rank one up one way, rank up someone another way, and all the dialogue, everything in the game will cater to the pilot you pick and will adjust in real time. So cutscenes will talk about that character specifically the dialogue will be written based on how the character interacts with other characters, that sort of thing. And according to the Ubisoft rep, this is true of Fox himself as well. So if you choose to use Fox and his wing, you can play the entire game as him. His wing actually has the add perk of having a laser built in on top. Nice. So you don't even necessarily need the side weapon attachment system, although that enhances it. You can literally just play with just the wing and Fox, like old school Star Fox, which is kind of cool. But of course, none of this actually matters if the gameplay isn't engaging, right? So... Is it engaging? Yeah, I actually found it to be pretty fun. I mean, basically, basically it's a non-procedural No Man's Sky. You planet hop, you complete goals at, uh, to win over each planet, then you move on to the next one. So in the demo, I got a star in space. I kind of like worked my way down to the planet's surface. And at that point, I was tasked with stopping these mechs from ta- attacking some towers that were scattered about the surface. And I face this huge like spider boss thing. And when on a planet, you can either go into like this hover mode or a full-on flight mode both of which let you shoot uh, enemies, both of which let you collect things. One's just a bit more Star Fox all-range mode feeling, the the flying mode, and the other's a bit more like third-person person action game feel, uh, feeling. Like you're kind of gliding around instead of walking when you're in hover mode. It actually, now that I think about it, is kind of like Daycon Racing's Hovercraft and how it handles. Like that sort of hover, f- slide, glide thing. You but anyway... perfectly?
1: Huh? You mean perfectly?
0: Yes. Well, it depends on the ship because the handling's different for each oh, ship. Right. Some are like 10 yeah, yeah. So like So yes, Crunches is the
1: worst. Huh? Crunches is the worst.
0: It, okay, I, I I technically meant in Starlink, but I, yes, in Diddy Kong, that's not wrong. <laughs> I'll give you that. But anyway, uh, yeah, so the planet itself, when you're on it, not as a Diddy Kong character, is uh, pretty big. There's all sorts of different terrain and enemies to go through, plus that big boss fight I mentioned, and it required a lot of mixing and matching different ship parts. And I think... I think ended up playing it for like a thirty for like a good thirty minutes. It was a long demo, and you know, it, it just gives you an idea of the scope. Is like, I it was thirty minutes of actual stuff to do: ships to swap, or pieces to swap, and people to fight, and tasks to complete. So it it has some depth to it. And Ubisoft plans; they're planning to sell a starter pack with Fox, his R wing, a second pilot, and multiple weapons for I think it was seventy five bucks. That comes out October sixteenth. And they're also going to sell additional ships and weapons and pilots separately. Um, based on my experience from just the one planet, assuming there's enough variety as you play a hop, it actually is really fun and it would be checking out, but uh, would be worth checking out. But I think the key thing here that is making me sort of sold on Starlink is you are not required to use the toys. It's a, it's a sign of the toy lifetimes. They are completely optional. You can do everything digitally. There's zero word on how they're going to make that work. I assume it's going to be through in-game purchases. But if the price is right, like that doesn't seem too absurd to me, especially since the thing that's going to attract most Switch owners, certainly me, the Star Fox content, that is a free add-on that will be available for everyone. Whether you buy the physical Star Fox pack, whether you just buy the game by itself, you don't need to buy anything else. You can just play through the entire game of Star Fox with his R-Wing, one and done.
2: Hmm.
0: One purchase, like a normal video game. So that's promising in and of itself and then the to life stuff is just kind of cool a little extra stacked on top of it but i will be honest one of the coolest things about the game is popping off the ship in real time and whatnot so hmm, or really popping cool. off pieces so it, don't discount
1: damage i guess well it- yeah
0: well yeah yeah but uh yeah and they um i meant more like popping off the actual physical components of the ship as you do Whoa. stuff but yes you're right in the sense of you do need to pop stuff off because if things break you need to put on a new thing. Like, yeah. if your ship's about dead, you need to swap your ship. I had to do that in the demo. Um, but yeah, it, it's fine, because, like, it's a fun little detour of Star Fox that I feel like is... It's sort of priming the pump for that rumor of the uh, Star Fox Grand Prix game.
1: Oh, yeah, that didn't happen. I yeah, well, it's, I forgot it's that was apparently not going
0: to come out to 2019, was what of a lot course, of rumors said. Of course. So it wasn't there. But this feels like, in the same way that, you know, throwing... Mario and Mario and Ravage a couple months before Odyssey to this kind of, well, it's not really the same actually, but it does feel like it's probably in the pump. And, and funny enough, the other one of the other games we both played, um, Team Sonic Racing, I also got kind of a Star Fox vibe from Team Sonic Racing. Like, it was mainly from how the game integrates the whole team racing idea. Um, as you're racing, you are constantly have all these other racers spouting cheesy one-liners to you, requesting assistance in the four of items. Even, there's even the robot assistant Like in Star Fox, uh, E-123 Omega, in this case for Sonic, he's reporting on how you're doing during the race. Like the whole thing, Team Sonic Racing just feels like Star Fox in terms of how the characters are interacting, which is kind of unexpected. But more importantly than the presentation of Team Sonic Racing is, of course, the underlying gameplay. You're a resident Sonic Racing game
1: fan. How did it feel to you? It felt like Sonic Racing also has Transformed, but without the transformations, the cards felt... I mean, the handling was great. I like that they returned the... I like that the drifting came back, as in you... there's still three levels of drifting just like in Mario Kart, but in... unlike Mario Kart, if you tap the drift button twice, you can change direction mid-drift and continue that drift, thereby essentially keeping your drift going through like very crazy zigzags without mm-hmm. ever having mm-hmm. to have an accidental boost. Because that's one of the things of Mario Kart. It's actually not a bad thing. It's just another... just a different kind of strategy. Yeah not trying to get too big of a boost so that you can boost through another turn so that you don't overshoot it and crash. Right. This one just kind of skips that and just gets to the nitty-gritty. All right, just continue the drift as long as you can. Right. And then they also have the return of the trick system. Unlike Mario Kart, where you have to just press the jump button at the end of a ramp to do a trick. This one, you get to spin the, the second joystick in any direction to do flips in the air. And for every flip that you do, you get more boost. And if you land... If you don't land perfectly, you don't get a boost, and you actually slow down. So it's kind of like a risk reward kind of thing. Do you go big or go home, or go big and well, yeah, I guess, yeah, you go big or home. You, go, you go big or you yeah, yeah, go literally. big. <laughs> yeah, go big or go big. And, it is fun. Yeah. So like I mean, so that's fun in itself. But then, um, it was kind of hard at first to manage. just like manage what it takes to benefit your teammates. I mean, besides yeah. the obvious, like the, the, there's the pretty much the more straightforward one, like when teammates are requesting an item, you can send an item by pressing X. Well, I mean, I guess it's A. I'm just going to call it A. I mean, could you use your item yourself with X, which is the bottom button. Right. But you could, if you don't want to use the item, you send it over. If you want an item, you request. I ended up sending a lot of items by accident when I actually wanted to use them.
0: Yeah, I did that too at first in the demo because we were playing on, I think it was a PS4. They weren't running it on Switch natively, obviously, if it's on PS4. And PS4 buttons are different than... Switch. like Switch Nintendo's the odd man out where they switch their buttons around.
1: They've always had it like that, though. Xbox I know. Everyone definitely...
0: out, it's Xbox and Sony switched it. Well, and then... well, Sony has symbols. Oh, yeah. Sony has symbols. But yeah, like, their it's, 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 A button is where Xbox's A button is while Nintendo's A button is the B button. Yeah, it's just Yeah, it's yeah. And with the X and Y. But right. that, ma- that always makes it tricky when we're demoing other games because I did the exact same thing. I kept yeah, sending it, it, items off. Yeah, because B
1: isn't back. Yeah. But, I mean, the other thing you could do is um, you could draft... That was actually a really cool. Yeah, drafting. I mean, that that was pretty cool. And then there was another one where, I guess, just essentially just bumping into enemy cars, like, just all of that gives you like team points, which build up a meter right under your car. And when that meter builds up, then your entire team gets a boost, like a giant. An
0: ultimate team boost. The word of e three twenty is ultimate.
1: Yep. Yep. Which felt really cool.
0: Yeah, it it was cool, and it's like it it almost goes and. The F-Zero announcer. I made this point to you, and I completely forgot that I was going to bring up on the podcast. When you boost, he says boost. It's the dude from F-Zero GX. It's the same voice. I it was it's just waiting so long for him to go, power, boost power. But he never said power. But it's the same guy. Yeah. I don't know why I slammed the table over this. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. But no, I actually, I actually kind of like the team mechanic yeah,
1: it's, it's only three people. In, well, two other people in your team. It yeah. doesn't feel like... It's not overwhelming. Yeah, well it's not yeah it's not overwhelming and it still feels like you're kind of doing a normal race like it feels like the majority of the people are racing against you so it never I was kind of afraid that I was going to feel like oh it's only like I'm going to be racing with four other people because it's like four groups but I don't know it felt it felt normal it just felt I mean they like, do have 12 racers which it, helps as well yeah it just yeah. felt like there was just another layer on top
0: yeah it's interesting because Sega I think it was to Variety maybe they said made a that they're trying to do for racing basically they're basically trying to so- platoon or overwatch racing like they're trying to take that kind of team-based class-based system and that is something i kind of noticed in it is that so you do have different um classes right so you can be a faster character you can be a heavier character i think you'd be one of those tricks i remember the third one but what i noticed is with mine i would yeah, use the
1: speed technique and yes technique there it is but yeah
0: well i noticed when i was racing as sonic who drives a car when he's fast already whatever they've explained this I know I was just making a joke Um, Uh, I know it's it's because it's because it's like why would you not be in a car if you're in a racing league yeah
1: wasn't that the explanation
0: like if everyone else is in cars why are you not in a car
1: well I mean that was part of it the main one was just that if he wasn't in a car he would win every time so what's the point ah fair okay yeah that's a better
0: explanation but anyway the point I was getting at is um so what I was doing is I did the drafting thing you were describing like the slipstream and then I would – or I would set it up – or no, I was a heavy character. I wasn't Sonic because I was the one that did this. I slipstreamed, and then I ricocheted to smash into the car in front of me, and then my teammate would zip ahead of that in the opening. So there is like actual – like the class system actually can be used as strategy is what I'm trying to say. And that – I don't know if I'd go as far as say this is the Overwatch of racing or the Splatoon of racing, but I see where Sig is coming from with that comment. Like it does – Feel like they're trying to add some sort of strategic strategic element besides just you send items to friends, and that that's cool. Like I think if you have a good group online, you can actually some really cool, clever ideas yeah. that they probably aren't even thinking of right now.
1: And and I can understand like, why like they dialed it back from like transform. Like they want it's a completely different mechanic. It's, it's basically keep it simple so that you can focus on perfecting it and then just go bigger next time. So exactly, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah,
0: I th- I think it's one of those things that they always bring it back. Like maybe maybe the next game is a team racing and the transform stuff all yeah, at once it,
1: it's just nice that it's feel, it feels polished it feels like yeah it feels more polished than um transform did when it came out which is and, crazy
0: because it was only a demo
1: yeah exactly yeah and it's just going to be nice to have more variety on the switch for racing games like, def- i mean Mark card is great but at this point it's been out for a while we yeah. need something else to balance it out with so totally and and it's interesting because this um
0: what was i starting to say i, was say I don't something. know yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. It had to do with Sonic. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. Point is, it's it's coming this winter. It looks pretty good. It plays pretty well. It plays quite well. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but, uh, you know, we were mentioning Splatoon inspirations and how this is be the Splatoon of racing. If you want a real Splatoon inspiration, let me point your attention to a little game called uh, Ninjala from the folks at Gung-Ho. You may know Gung-Ho is the Puzzles and Dragons people. They had a crossover game with Nintendo at one point with mario specifically and now they're doing this game ninjala which at least aesthetically aesthetically i can't talk all of a sudden uh it's very reminiscent of the kids and squids in ingopolis like it
1: it feels like yeah i would like i wouldn't blame you like if you were just walking by the booth and you took a passing glance you're sort of wait is this a splatoon spin-off and like oh yeah no, it's its own game and and like the boot like gung-ho
0: has very high hopes for it they're no squids, but yeah. they blow bubble gum. That's their they're thing. They're ninja kids. They're ninja kids that eat gum. It's, they're describing it as a oh, what's the term they used? Gum ninja action game, or ninja gum action. One some combination of those three words. Madlib it for yourself. Figure it out. But yeah, they they um, it's that's their hook is gum instead of squids. But no, it it's you're right. It does look very much like Splatoon, and it's funny because their booth was in front of Nintendo. So anytime you wanted to go to Nintendo, you had to walk past the pseudo Splatoon game. And be like, oh, this is the Splatoon that is pretty big booth too. There's a massive booth. They have clearly, high which
1: kind of goes back to like the whole like, for just that game, like literally just yeah. that game. Not no, even not like no, to hey. be
0: fair, in the back corner they did have their other game, which is a side-scrolling shooter kind of switch called Galaxy Z. That's G A L A K dash Z.
1: but I'm saying, but I'm saying like just that game. Yes. That, that space. Took it was up for just Splatoon. Was huge. It's like, like not even like the Fox booth. Like I think the only thing that comes close is like the. Oh, at
0: Comic-Con, you mean? Yeah, like Comic-Con. Like, Fox Pictures? Yeah. yeah, like,
1: I'm trying to think of, like, what's the biggest booth at Comic-Con?
0: WB, and it's not that. Yeah, it's only a third then, of the yeah, size it, it's, it's only
1: because it's, like, two stories, but yeah. it's not, it doesn't take up that much space compared to And And Gunhose was three. technically
0: two stories. They didn't build a second floor, but the, the decorations, yeah. the cityscape they built, which, again, we have a gallery, you can check it out for yourself over at a day at E3, but the the, the, the booth was, for, like, tall. <laughs> the walls went all the way to the ceiling. Um, But yeah, so they clearly have high hopes for this game, and... It, it it's like outside the show show floor, like this thing was massive on the show floor, but outside of E three, I feel like Ninjala did not get much attention or coverage, which is kinda too bad because it is an interesting game with some neat ideas. Yeah. I mean, first of different. all, I should probably mention it's designed by someone of note. Um, co producer of the, the how do you say it? The Final Fantasy fine games. Decidia? Decidia? Dissidia. Decidia. Decidia Dissidia. Dissidia Final Fantasy. The guy that co produced that is the head designer of this. So there's some pedigree there. This isn't just some random game about kids with bubblegum. But more of the point, it's one of those games where, like, you know, you blow bubblegum, and then you make a bat from the bubblegum, and then you beat your friends with the bat. Like, that totally normal game genre we all play all the
1: time. Yeah, it's pretty much a accumulate points. Whoever gets more points at the end wins. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you
0: basically you start with no weapon. And you need to generate the weapon by blowing your bubblegum bubble. And the longer you blow the bubble, the bigger it gets. And the bigger it gets, the more powerful your weapon will be. But the thing about a bigger weapon is besides just taking longer to create, which makes you more vulnerable in the battle, um, it also moves significantly slower. I'm talking real slow. So you might prefer a strategy where you blow really small bubbles and make really small weapons. But then those aren't as powerful. So it's kind of like this balancing act you have to do. And, and then separate it's, interesting. And then, it's it's interesting
1: and like from watching it you'd think it'd be I mean it is fast paced but it's very but, but, stop and but, but, but go kind of, yeah kind of how you were alluding that the weapon is slowly like, even the small even the small bat isn't as fast as you think it is like you could throw you could blow smaller bubbles and shoot them at people to get them stuck on the ground or right. on the wall so that you can hit them properly and, then, and they but, have to
0: try and wiggle out by like rotating the stick Mario Party style which always, is a weird move
1: but there's always like a lot of wind up to the move so it's, it's it's kind of methodical. Like you, you can't just, like, spam. And, yeah, basically you can't spam. You can't just, like, swing around recklessly. Otherwise you will be punished for it pretty badly.
0: Which is good because that prevents it from being, like, a total just random chaos thing. Like, there's actually a strategy to be had. But, yeah, the I think they need to fine-tune. Like, the, the potential is 100% there. But I think they need to fine-tune the exact speed everything goes. Because, I mean, like, right now how it goes is um, you blow the bubble. Stop. You now transform it into a weapon. Stop you get hit by someone stop or wiggle out of the gum you need to get a new but make Sounds a like new bubble stop Telegram. right I, basically and now you make another weapon stop etc you know it just keeps doing that like it's very like i would say disjointed but it is definitely like paced a little slow individual actions but i, I think like the like i said the potential is totally there i mean from what i've read we got to play a four-person match right and we're in a very small cityscape and we're running around. But from what I read is the final game's gonna expand pretty much on everything that I just said. So there will be eight people that you're competing against. Uh, you'll have different abilities w- that you can form different weapons with. I mean, in the demo, there's a grayed out yo-yo weapon that we couldn't use, but that will be one. There'll be a skateboard, there'll be all this different stuff. One thing we didn't even touch on is you can actually use the bubble gum if you just hold it in front of your mouth. You can climb up the sides of buildings. You use it basically to stick to the walls and they can go up to these higher vantage points and do all sorts of other stuff. That has a lot of cool potential if they flush it out. And there's also little things they do to kind of make it a little more of a party game, like you get bonuses at the end of every match. They're very Mario Party-esque. It's like, oh, hey, you got the biggest
1: bubble or whatever. Yeah, right? there's a bunch of little, like, set objectives that give you, like, a couple like points. coins to get extra points. Yeah, most coins, most, like, droids destroyed. Oh, yeah, so
0: they have drones in it or droids in it, whichever word you want to use. And um, that one was – that felt like something that was part of a bigger game that they didn't really – Show us because basically, there's these drones flying around. and If you whack them with your bat like a pinata, they get knocked out. You get some extra points, and then if you get the most drones, you get the bonus at the end. And those bonuses basically amount to an extra kill shot or an extra kill point, so it can yeah. literally change the entire game as and it did. Mario Party does. I was in
1: first place, and then someone got one. I was in last, and I got second. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so yeah, it's I mean, it's this very much to me felt more like a proof of concept than an actual game at this stage, which is fine. It's not out to 2019, but. Right? Like then it kinda this felt more like you know, you we were talking about how polished Team Sonic Racing felt. Like it it felt like they could ship it then and there. This feels like it's in development. You know what I mean? Well yeah. Yeah, which is not a knock against it. It is in development. It just I mean the, it's just, the it's, potential looks yeah, like Yeah, the it's potential's there. really cool. It's something no one's really talking about, but I think deserves some attention. I mean Puzzles and Dragons is a well received franchise. Gung Ho's a good company, so like you know, it's worth keeping an eye on. And it's it, it's just, it's just a promising idea, really. Like, it feels right at home alongside ARMS and Splatoon. Which makes sense because it's cribbing on Splatoon and sort of has some resemblance to ARMS at times. So, <laughs> I get it. But, uh, and, and what, what's true about a lot of the third-party games that came out of E3 is that they feel right at home on Switch. Like, they just make sense on Switch. I mean... Some that we didn't even get to play. Uh, Konami, for example, they're giving their old Hyper Sports series, the Barman Switch Treatment. They're doing a new cartoony reboot. They're calling it Hyper Sports R. It's comprised of a bunch of different motion, motion-controlled sports, um, solo play, multiplayer play. So that's something that just feels right designs. on Switch. Yeah. It's like kind of cartoony, but also kind of not. Yeah. It's like, do you remember Beach Spikers? Not the most on... appealing-looking no. characters. Do you remember Beach Spikers on GameCube?
1: Yeah.
0: It feels like it's that, but they were like, What's the American version of Chibi? Because let, let's just do that. Whatever the Americanized Chibi is, do that on their faces. But keep the bodies real.
1: Let's do very early human Pixar characters. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was like, it felt like Woody. They all felt like Woody. Or looked like Woody in the screenshots. But we didn't get to play it. It was behind closed doors only. But I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because Bomberman R, uh, Super Bomberman R is really good. And this is Konami basically trying to apply that exact idea to a my, different some reason, my mind when
1: like, a rated R Bomberman movie. You mean Bomberman Act Zero. The mature bomb
0: after yeah, Xbox but that's, but that's bombed. M, yeah. Oh, that bombed! Haha, that failed. That's what I'm trying. Yeah. What I'm trying to say. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that was one game. Then you, you know, Bandai Namco they announced a remake of uh, Tales of Vesperia, the now definitive edition. It's going to be coming to Switch. They also separately announced a whole other Tales game right after E3. That's literally all we know. It's yeah. called Tales of. There's <laughs> no subtitle. We don't know who's developing it. Like we don't know the team involved. We don't know the systems. We don't know what it looks oh, like when it comes it's out. out. We just... for no, it's or PS4? I'm, See, I'm, we I'm... don't know. What we do know, though, is Tales of Aspera is coming this winter. So that's one you're actually pretty excited for, right?
1: Oh, yeah. That game has been exclusive for Xbox 360. Well, it's only, yeah, for years and years now. And for that reason, I haven't been able to play it. But I've been really wanted to because I've only heard excellent things about it. I've heard people clamoring about how it's essentially as good as Tales of Symphonia. And that, has, I... and that has a huge reputation going towards it. It also had an anime adaption for it, too. So it definitely has... And the reputation And even the game I'm currently playing right now, um, you collect these little trading cards of, I guess, what were the most popular Tales games. And mm-hmm. I've collected a few Tales of Symphonia cards, and sure enough, a few characters from that game pop out. It's like, I don't know their names, but I know they're from that game.
0: I frankly don't understand, to this day, what Namco, at the time Namco, was thinking when they went, Tales of Symphonia was a big hit on GameCube. Let's make the sequel for Xbox 360 where no one owns this. Wait, what? Tales of Symphonia was a big game on GameCube. Uh-huh. Let's make the next Tales game. Oh. Not exactly a sequel. I meant like the follow-up. Yeah, because I wanted the sequel. Sorry, was on I the... should rephrase. I meant the follow-up. Yeah, I wanted
1: the sequel was on the Wii.
0: Yeah, let's make... Right, but let's make the follow-up where we have all this momentum on GameCube on this other system where Japanese games are barely known to exist.
1: Like um, what was the thinking there? Uh, I mean, it's it, weird. it had to have been many years apart because I mean that mm. was that's GameCube to Xbox 360, not. Oh, Xbox. that's
0: true. That's true.
1: What am I thinking of then? They did release
0: a game after Symphonia on Xbox One or original Xbox maybe. Mm, I don't not know. Xbox. Xbox One is in the first Xbox. Not Xbox One is in the current Xbox. Yeah. Just and you thought DS and 3DS were weird names, um, but yeah, it's yeah. yeah.
1: Eventually they did release um, Tell Symphonia again on PS3 for. PS3, Xbox three sixty for everything but right. Wii U or Switch. Right. I mean it'd be nice to get that one. But hey, it
0: could it's easy to pour if it's from PS three. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's basically the three sixty situation with Vesperia right now. But yeah, for me the um like if you're if Sparia's your big like remaster announcement at E three, for me, I think the one that caught my eye was probably the Grim Fandango remaster
1: is um, that a new remaster? Cause it's been is-
0: out on other systems. It's oh. coming to Switch. Biden didn't buy it on other systems. Oh, okay. Because
1: so. I'm like, I know I've I've watched the remaster being played because I know Obis got it for, like, I think during like last year's Steam sale. He got yeah, it no, a- it's it's been out. They're bringing it to Switch oh, God, along reason. with
0: uh, Double Finds bringing it to Switch along with Broken Age, and what the remaster comes with is you get like a live orchestra soundtrack instead of the previous one version. There's a developer commentary like a movie would have, which is kind of cool. But the the reason I'm interested in it is Grim Fandango was my very first point-and-click adventure game. Oh, it,
1: you actually had it as a young man. So
0: no, yes and no. I uh, played it at a friend's place on his PC. We had a good time. And he's like, here, just take it back to your house. It's fine. You can borrow it for a while. You know, sometimes friendships just don't naturally continue. So we hadn't talked for a while. I was then moving from Montana here to California... And I didn't realize I still had his Grim Fandango, because we hadn't talked in, a few, talked in a few months at that point, or maybe like a year even. Long story short, I have this guy's copy of Grim Fandango for PC, like the original, in a broken jewel case in a drawer in my house. I stole his game. So, yeah. So point is, now I can play it legitimately and not feel like a thief. And you know what? I don't even think he had a legit copy. I think it was on a, like a jewel, like a, like a burned CD. So, he's a thief too. I'm really just taking the thief's thievery away. That's all I'm doing. But no, I I am excited to actually get to play it legitimately for once, because I've heard that, like, what I remember when I was younger, because we only got to like a third of it, is it was good, it was funny, um, so to be able to actually go back and experience it and then get the developer commentary is really cool. So that, that's the remake I, or remaster I'm looking forward to that came out of E3, but but here's the thing. All these games we just riled off, all these third-party games, you know, everything from Starlink to Sonic to Grim Fandango and Vesperia, that's kind of it, at least in terms of big reveals from third parties at E3. I mean, for a system with a hungry user base, it's kind of surprising that more AAA caliber ports just weren't announced. Right, like we went in, go like, oh, they're what did you like Fallout Four, Red Dead Redemption, or GTA, and we got none of that.
1: Yeah, we don't nothing totally for us.
0: Yeah, but like according to Reggie, uh, Reggie said they are coming. He was talking again to The Verge, and he basically blamed the young age of the Switch, saying that you have a development cycle of multiple years with any game these days, and the system's only sixteen months old, so there's got to be a gap. And then he specifically call- specifically calls out the end of this year or next year. As when that gap's gonna close so we in theory will start seeing new big name ports happening later this year and into next year and to be fair to mister Fizeme, he seems right on some level panic button the guys who did the switch ports for rocket league and doom among others they're processing is gonna be a big new switch port reveal next month and they're simultaneously also talking about how they're very high in demand right now for switch port making in general for doing the port services so someone out there is doing what Reggie's saying. That is true. And then you've got Square Enix. They're opening up a whole division just to make Switch games that recently came out. So not ports, but, you know, big third-party support. I believe they're essentially just taking the Octopath Traveler team and putting them on Switch permanently. So probably see more of that sort of game. But but at the same time... That would be pretty cool if they remade their like, old it, yes, Final Fantasy games yes, in that style or something like that. That they should do. I, I honestly, given how many times they've Final Fantasy one. on like, Nintendo systems, they're going to yeah, do it. Or
1: Chrono Trigger, or Secret of Secret Mana. Secret of Mana. And That's one
0: from... they haven't remade in a long time, Secret of Mana. Didn't that one just get a remake? Did it? Yeah, I want to say it did. Did it? On like... Nintendo systems?
1: Oh, no. I, mean, I meant like, for Nintendo. For everything else but Nintendo. No, because
0: like Chrono, they put on DS. Um, Final Fantasies, they've done on DS and Game Boy Advance. They keep re-releasing them. So, yeah, like... they
1: come on DS, yeah. So
0: like Secret of Mana would be... They did... Uh, follow-ups on Game Boy Advance, like a semi-sequel but I think Secret Man would be probably a good one. But we'll see what they do but but the, the thing is so Panic Button's saying they have stuff coming, Square Enix says they had stuff Reggie says more is coming, but at the same time I can't help but look at what big supporters of the Switch, like Bethesda and Ubisoft, I can't help but look at what they announced for the System A3 and kind of go, are you, are you sure Reggie? Are we really getting AAA stuff? Because like yes, Bethesda's giving us Wolfenstein 2 next week and there's maybe the sort of sequel spin off Wolfenstein Youngblood that might be coming to Switch. And we'll get I think Eternal. it's running. I don't know actually. They haven't said any platforms. So oh okay. no, no, no.
1: I'm asking you. No, I people's... no. I'm
0: saying like I don't know. Like no. it could go either way. If it's running the same engine in the same way, like so, Wolfenstein Youngblood I believe is the engine of Wolfenstein Two, just a story about the the daughters, the twin daughters or twin whatever. That has a a switch skew in GameStop systems. That's a possibility. Doom. Uh, Eternal, which, by the way, should really be called Eternal Doom. Is like, that Eternal? What?
1: It's not Doom Eternal?
0: It's Doom Eternal. It should be called Eternal Doom. Oh. Like, grammar people. But anyway, that game, I have no idea if it's the same engine or not. If it's the same engine, Panic! Button did an awesome job with getting it on Switch the first time. They can just do it again. Like, it's built for Switch. If it's a whole new engine that's using like Xbox One X and PS4 Pro level technology, hmm. I, I think that's a lost cause. How does that slogan
1: go? Better on Xbox One or something?
0: Yeah, that's what they say. Better on Xbox One X, yeah.
1: Or plays best on, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think it's best best on?
0: I don't know. Either way. um, (laughs) Runs on Switch. Yeah, (laughs) is barely running on (laughs) Switch. Playable on Switch. Playable, exists on Switch. But no, but besides like you know, besides Wolfenstein, besides maybe Doom, all that we're getting from Bethesda now is a card game, The Elder Scrolls Legends, and the surprise That's launch right, for Fallout Shelter, and like there, there's no Fallout, there's no real Fallout, there's no Rage, there's not a big gun, so to speak. And then if you look at Ubisoft, who of course you know they're doing Starlink. I gave impressions a little bit ago, but they're also giving Switch a new Just Dance, and they're giving Wii U a new Just Dance, and they're giving the Wii a new Just Dance. I can't believe they're still making games for Wii, but they're giving it Just Dance, and they're giving Switch also trial, uh, trials uh, what's the name? Rising Trials Rising. I can't remember the same title. Motorcycle game, which is a Motorcycle Racer, which is fine. But that's it. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of these games. Okay, Ron, they're all potentially great in their own ways and cool experiences for us Switch folk. But you notice what's missing? The AAA stuff. Like I said, there's no Rage. There's no Fallout. There's no Assassin's Creed. There's no Skull and Bones. There's no... uh, Whatever that racing game that Ubisoft made is. Driver's Club? Whatever it's called. Drive Club? Drive Club. Steep is still MIA. Where is (laughs) Steep? What happened to Steep? Did the person die on the mountain? Where is Steep? But, like, we're we're not getting these big games because I think the problem is that these the tech that these games require, kind of like what I was starting to say a second ago, Xbox One X, PS4 Pro, that's not feasible to get down on Switch, I don't think. Like, you could down-res a regular one. We know you can because Doom did it. Skyrim did it. Well, Skyrim was up-res from PS3. Regardless. Um, like, you may sl- – I think what's happening is we may slowly be slipping back into the rut of the Wii U and even the Wii. Which is ports are difficult because the switch is gonna be so underpowered compared to what the Pro and the X can do.
1: Yeah, it doesn't help that you know? that the Xbox have the the Xbox has the one X and the PS4 Pro has the Pro and lately they've been creating games that For those first. Yeah, like not even for a regular PS4 and right. Xbox One X. Like If you run them on those other consoles, like you start to see frame rate drops. They're literally saying, like, run it on PS4 Pro or whenever you see them demoed, it's always on a Pro or an Xbox One
0: exactly. X. Exactly. I mean, like look at Bethesda. They went from Doom and Skyrim
1: well, to... I'm glad that they're saying, like, all right, we have at least another four or five years of life right. on the well, console. Except
0: maybe not, because Xbox already talked about their next system. Sony had a financial well, things said theirs is coming down the pipe they're basically level. trying to cram in extra systems in between well, yeah i
1: mean but that's what they said last time too and that's true and sony is usually pretty good about keeping their consoles alive for a long time i mean you look at the ps2 and the ps3 yeah that's fair they kept yeah. them going for a while look at what
0: ubisoft is doing with the wii just dance <laughs> exactly. it there you go but no um but i mean like if you look at bethesda yeah, like they went 12 from 12 years it's insane of wii games it's insane but if you, if you look at, like, Bethesda, they went from Doom and Skyrim to a spin-off card game based on the Elder Scrolls. Which, you know, the game's probably great, but it just kind of proves my point that they were, hitting, they we're hitting a wall for some of these ports. I mean, look at what the Unravel-, Unravel 2 devs were just saying the other day. Like, you may recall last episode, I was kind of shocked that the game isn't coming to Switch. Local couch co-op, the characters literally look like the red and blue Joy-Con. They are perfect. And the developer's are like, you're right, it is perfect. But here's the problem. We don't have the resources to pull it off on Switch because we want 60 frames. We want the same graphic fidelity we have now. And if we were to attempt to do that, we could not reveal the game for an additional six months. If even that is what they were saying. So they're not saying it's impossible. It's just not feasible. But something like Unravel 2 is borderline impossible. Border, almost impossible. Some of this other stuff, there's no way. Like I imagine we're going to keep seeing ports of older games. Red Dead Redemption 1 would be cool. GTA 5 would I mean, be cool. just give us Fallout 4. I'm sure Fallout it would 4 would be great, and like those will probably be announced for Switch, but we're getting stuck in this time period of gaming from a few years ago, which is still awesome. Like Having those games to play anywhere, anytime is a very cool concept, but I don't see how something like Fallout 76, for example, would work. Or, or you know, uh, any other game. I mean, Kingdom Hearts 3, arguably, maybe, because it's made for regular PS4, maybe, downrights enough. Like if if it was like uh, I don't even know what like it it we're it, we're just hanging a wall. So the the good news, we well,
1: have Smash Brothers. I guess.
0: The good news is we don't just have Smash Brothers, but like Switch, it may not have the triple A blockbusters, but it more than makes up for it with indie games. I mean, during E3, Switch passed the 700 game mark on the eShop, and obviously stuff like Fortnite's still coming, and Paladins is still coming. We're only talking about the real high-level AAA publisher stuff. Like, you know, like FIFA is still coming. We're getting FIFA 19 with online play for the first time. Whoa. It just won't use the Frostbite engine. It's going to be this weird little side engine they do. But So we are getting stuff. It's just a lot of stuff is not the big guns, so to speak. But, but instead we have the indies. And some of these indies do absolutely huge numbers. I mean, Overcooked was big. Stardew Valley was big. So to kind of wrap up our A3 coverage, this final like chapter of it, we want to highlight a few of the nindies that we played. They're absolutely worth keeping an eye on as they kind of trickle out over the next couple months. And the first one up is Killer Queen Black, which had the privilege of being spotlighted in Nintendo's booth. And is just a really cool game that feels perfect for Switch. Like, it it start, It actually started as an arcade game. It was a five-on-five arcade game. You play, like, an actual cabinet. And now what the developers have done was is... So four it it was... Well, yes. Now it is. It was five-on-five in arcade. They re configured the whole game, shrunk the battle map and everything, made it four on four, and you can do it either locally between two switches to have eight players, or you and your three friends can go online and find a team of four to go against.
1: Yeah, I definitely can't wait to do that with some of my friends.
0: It's a really fun game. Yep. Very
1: fun. Three yes. ways to win. You have the queens that you can either kill the queen three times, you can collect, I believe, like ten berries, yeah, or you can ride a snail to the finish line on the opposite end of the screen. You know I love Valley Three.
2: I
0: love how absurd it is to talk about these game concepts that long. So yeah, you like you blow the bubble and it turns bubble gum and it turns into a weapon. Yeah, I played this game where I rode a snail and won. It's like what is gaming really? But yes, it's a really cool game.
1: That's fun, and it's the queen's job to kill the minions that keep respawning endlessly, so they slow down the snail traversing or the or the berry collecting. But those yeah. same minions can also upgrade themselves to become huge threats to the queen because the queen everything dies in one hit.
0: Yeah, so how it works is you are either the queen on your team. You have one queen and three minions. So you're either the queen, or you're one of the worker bees. And depending on what what strategy you choose to do, yeah, you can either, like you were saying, you can upgrade your abilities. There's five different abilities you can weapons you can do, and then you fly around and try and kill the other minions or the queen. Um, for the switch version, you're actually, adding a laser. That's a new one. It was for the other systems. It's just four, I guess, um, or for the arcade version, I should say. But yeah, so you, you can do that, like you were saying. And then the berries, it's very much like the whole, it's all on one map. That's the interesting thing. It's very much like crazy, chaotic, yet
1: also really strategic joust. Do they have multiple maps or is it just that one? And I that's don't, literally, I
0: actually don't know if there's going to be multiple map layouts. I do know there's multiple modes, which doesn't really answer your question at all, but I'm just going to shoehorn it in. There's a quick match mode, there's a rank mode, there's a custom mode, and there's arena mode. I have no idea what that means. They haven't explained it anywhere. But the core game's great. It really is like, if you had competitive joust meets balloon fight, meets not really just joust meets balloon fight. And and like when you're doing the berries like you're describing, the part of the trick is the berries are scattered all around map and you have to carry them up to the upper corners of the screen. So your team's on one side, other teams on the other side. And you know it, it gets very strategic. Like, right. do you have your queen guard where the berries go to prevent people from putting them, like there goal or be, them there, bringing them there? Yeah, or do you run around and try and stab people before they get anywhere near their, yeah. their goal? And I think
1: that you could also check the berries. You could just throw them at the post. So you don't even have to like go all the way up there. But if you do go all the way up there and essentially guarantee that you'll get one, it takes a long time for the dude to like jump, crawl inside the hole, and place the berry. As opposed to throwing the berry, it just automatically goes in if you make it in. Yeah, it's one of those risk reward Which cost us systems. the game once because I was crawling in to put the last berry in, but then they killed our queen, and we were like less than a second away from winning.
0: Right. Yeah, it it gets really intense. Like we, it's funny because I keep hearing this pitch of indie games at E three this year where everyone's like, "Oh, it makes the perfect drinking game." Like that. I think we heard that for three different games. Right yeah, after I suggested it for each one of them. Yeah, and you said it to me first, and then we would hear in the background of Valve Rock, like, yeah, make a great drinking game. But honestly, like something like this, like it gets so competitive so fast, it can very easily. We don't encourage excessive alcohol use, but if that's your thing, uh, it could very easily work. And even without, it's just really fun. Like it, it, it has a very old school vibe. It looks like an old school game, like graphically, but it has the depth that you would expect from a more modern game. It's, it's really kind of the perfect marriage and it feels right at home on switch. It totally plays up the single screen co-op competitive everything. Like it's, they nailed it. I see why it was featured in Nintendo's booth.
1: Yep. Definitely yeah. really looking forward to that. Game. So
0: also an excellent fit for switch, um, as evident by the first game already being one of the biggest indie games on switch next door to killer queen black in the booth was overcooked too.
1: Yeah. Another competitive game, but it's cooperatively competitive. 'Cause you just want to get the best score.
0: And this one definitely leans more towards co op for anyone who hasn't played, um, Overcooked, you are working together more than you're competing. But yes, there are you can skew things in your favor for I sure. Well I mean
1: you're never well, I mean, there is a competitive mode which I actually don't like to play. Um They don't even ever showcase
0: it anywhere. I yeah.
1: mean it's there. Yeah, whenever but... I play with my friends we're literally just doing cooperation, we split the task, we pass ingredients to each other. Like it's for all intents and purposes the game is pretty much the same. You just pick different characters. The two main differences are that now you could throw items a pretty significant distance. You can actually, you can only throw raw ingredients and you could make them land on like the grills or the tables or someone else could catch them. And that makes a huge difference in Time Saver if you master it. The yeah, other it thing, actually changed it up more than I expected. Yeah, the other thing that they do is um, instead of just having one arena that you can pretty much memorize for the duration of the three minutes that you have to cook, you have some stages that completely transform halfway through so once you think you know the layout all of a sudden you're going to be thrown into a completely different layout and sure like at one point um, since my friends and I were always going to try to perf- like get a perfect score on every single level
0: you did, you did that with the first game right yeah. like you perfected perfected yeah, we, the entire yeah I guess, I
1: guess you call you three star each level yeah yeah and we wouldn't go on until we got three star on the level and by doing this essentially we're going to have all right it's about to three seconds until it goes into the next phase of the room and then blah blah blah, get that ready
0: and and to be clear like the crazy thing about these level changes is it not just affects the layout it affects the food too like my favorite thing in the demo is you start i think it was the third stage of the demo and you start on a hot air balloon and you're making burgers salads something like that salads salads and then in the background you can actually see it happening but you're not really paying attention because you're cooking um there's a storm brewing. They yeah, we were in a hot air balloon. Yeah, and the hot air balloon bursts, and you've crashed down into a sushi restaurant, and now not only do you have to keep making salads, but surprise, you're also now starting to make sushi, all while the kitchen's on fire, and you have to dodge all the obstacles. Because, it's of, because so
1: of, cool. Because of course, like even though you're a chef doing your own thing on a hot air balloon, as soon as you crash into another restaurant, you suddenly become their employees and have to suddenly make sushi for well, them. Yeah, event. haven't
0: you heard those stories of the cars that like accidentally crash into like a dry cleaner, and next thing you know, they're dry cleaning people's clothes? It happens
1: all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: But no, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just like that, that to me, that moment was, where I was like, oh yeah, this is like a full fledged sequel. Cause you know, they're, um, the developers are basically like, hey, yeah, we have new characters. We have new recipes. We have new this, that and the next thing. Some of the recipes are more elaborate and that's cool and all that's just a natural progression. But the idea of like, oh, you thought you knew how these levels work? No, 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 no. What if we just like throw things at you, literally throw things at you when you least expect yeah, it. I wouldn't like be surprised that if, was like
1: cool. The levels get nuts, towards And I, I, I would hope that eventually you maybe get like two or three changes or something Yeah.
0: Like that. Yeah. I, I am. I, I think the more crazy it, it's, it's like, this was the best type of crazy. So if they just keep building on that, it'd be, it'd be great. But I am very curious. One of the big new features besides throwing is online multiplayer. This will be overcooked. One was obviously um, local only now they're taking it online and this will be interesting to watch because communication is very critical and overcooked. Yeah, it's definitely you gonna... have to tell people I need you to clean this dish, I need rice, I need da 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 da. How do you do that without good voice chat? They
1: um the first game had a curse button. You literally just press it in like your little character just emotes. Oh yeah, cursing. they have like a little remote. Yeah. So this one has a wheel now, like instead of just pressing the button and it curses, um, you have a bunch of different emotes. You have like one that indicates like, Oh, come here, give me this, give me that like those kind of things so it'll be interesting to see someone try to master that I think personally I'm gonna stay away from online just because that those kind of games I, I just like it I just makes prefer more to film locally yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I mean that's that's what Switch is all about in many ways is local multiplayer but yeah I'm just thinking like like Fortnite was able to sneak in headset support where you just plug it into the mic uh, into the you know headphone jack with, the, with a headset with a mic I wonder mm-hmm. if I wonder if Nintendo's okay with some with a game like Overcooked 2 doing it because the thing about the uh the wheel of reactions or emotes or whatever you want to call it is that will in theory slow you down as you're doing your cooking and if you're crashing a hot air balloon into a sushi restaurant and you have fish stacking up you have salad stacking up and you're physically on fire I don't know if you want to take the time to spin the wheel you might just want to be able to shout something so I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes I mean it comes out August 7th we'll find out soon enough um yeah, it, I think this one's even getting a physical release too. And I believe if you pre-order, I don't know if it's the physical or digital, but if you pre-order, you do get a special costume that's Switch exclusive. So keep an eye, or I think Switch exclusive, at least pre-order exclusive. Pre-order so keep an eye, out. keep an eye out for that. But yeah, this this is cool. Like Killer Queen Black and Overcooked Two together were a really strong showing of like the indie scene inside Nintendo's booth, and really kind of exemplified what Switch indie games are all about. Like this sort of competitive but cooperative co-op or not co-op, uh, couch multiplayer thing. But then we also got a chance to see some games outside Nintendo's booth and Indie Mixer, and if you prefer fewer cooks in the kitchen than what Cook provides, but you still enjoy some good old-fashioned co-op tension, um, we had a chance to try out a game called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. It's the Switch version, of course, um, for those who've never heard of it, basically you have one person in charge of defusing a time bomb, and one or more other people are telling them what to do based on an instruction manual. So it actually got stars as a VR game where you're separated as much as possible, like literally different headspaces. Like one person's in this intense VR experience where they're with the bomb and time's running out. Everyone else is outside with the manual shouting questions to figure out what to tell them to cut or press or move or whatever. And now it's coming to Switch, um, since it's a portable system, I think the idea is you can still easily keep your distance and have that asymmetric gameplay work really well. At least that's what we experienced when we did at the Mixer because we both did both sides of it. So I instructed you, you were doing the buttons, you instructed me. And we failed
1: when you instructed me. No, we we succeeded
0: both times. Mine was just significantly slower.
1: No, I don't think we did. We did. That's how it ended.
0: That's why we switched because it was over. We won. What I did is I took about four times as long because I missed the part in the manual where it's like, skip to this part if, and I just ask you like every question. No, we we definitely beat it. Nope, nope, we succeeded. We did not blow up at all.
1: Hmm. Positive. If you say so. I'm positive.
0: But yeah, the, the the fun thing about the game is there is this kind of like great I mean I you probably feel the same way, but there was there was attention to it because there is this sense of urgency. I mean the person with the bomb, they need to spin it every which way to identify specific traits, then act on specific instructions without messing up given to whoever given by whoever has the manual. So, you know, if you have the manual, for example, you'd be asking me okay, does your bomb have two batteries strapped to bomb, or one, and depending on what I find when it's around and telling you, you then jump to a different part of the page where it's now like, okay, if that's the case, does it have this or this, does it have this or that? Okay, that means that you have to cut the red wire, that means you have to press the button that says explode, and it won't actually explode, or that sort of thing, and it's just it's just a game of communication, really. But it, um, you know, naturally, as you get further in the game, things get going progress, it's gonna get more crazy, I would imagine. And it's also all procedurally generated, meaning you won't have the same bomb twice. It will be a different experience each time. It obviously follows the rules that the manual lays out, but you don't need to you're not gonna get the exact same game, which is a nice touch. Um the nice thing is the manual is actually available online as a PDF. So even if you're alone, you can still just call a friend, send them a link and be like, Hey, you all play this game and you could be on your switch on one end of the phone and they could be like just sitting at their computer on the phone, like, Okay, yeah, the manual says, you know, do um, you have a yellow wire? And you're like, yeah, or no, or whatever. And you, can, he, they're playing a game with you, but yeah. they have,
1: they're nowhere near a game console. Even in a party setting, I could see it being great, like everyone like pairs off in groups of two, and then just see who could like do it the fastest. Yeah, or, or even
0: like collectively, like if you get in really hard levels, you can have people all contributing. But yeah, I think it works best as a one-on, a one-to-one, one person to one person sort yeah. of deal. Um, the one thing about doing it on the phone, though, I guess, is like. Be careful what you say because you're going to get phone tapped by the FBI if you keep saying there's a bomb, 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 bomb. <laughs> cut the wire, cut the wire. Don't play this at an airport. Yeah, do not do not play this at an airport, a public venue, or apparently E3 because they had security involved sniffing dogs. But um, the, whole, the whole game really, the whole setup, it just feels – Did that for VR initially? It was, yeah. But it just feels like the perfect complementary game if your Switch library already has stuff like Jackbox Party Pack or Drawful or anything like that because – These are all basically multiplayer-ready games where you only need one switch, one set of controls, and everyone just uses their phone. And this is that. Like this – if you are having a Jackbox party night, this is easily a game you just slot right in, at least based on what we experienced. It
1: should be out in the summer. It is out sometime
0: this summer. That's all we know. But it's definitely one we're keeping an eye on. And so far, the last indie we're going to talk about – so like so far, all the indies we've talked about are multiplayer But we also got to try a game that literally flips the script. So instead of two people with one screen, it's one person essentially playing two games at once. It's what what the developer describes as a split-screen, twin-stick, single-player risk-em-up. Because you constantly have to be juggling your options between the two screens and balancing the risk and all that. Its full name is a dual-hand-disaster tracker, and as fans of punnery... Here on the Roundtop Podcast, I feel like I must emphasize things here. So, dual is D U E L because there are two games, you see, but you're also competing, you see. So, it works both ways. And then, track her. Oh, well, Bill Cosby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, then, and then, track her, that's spelled track H E R because you are tracking a ship or a her. You see. You see. So, what I'm saying is. Developers got puns, and we approve. Um, but yeah, that that that's not even mentioning the biggest pun of all, which is the game's initials—a dual hand disaster, ADHD, because you're constantly dividing your attention. So I mean, on that level alone, just go buy the game. Like they they won. It's it's over. They won E3. No, but um, there's actually a lot going on here. Like it's enough that kind of my it kind of made my brain hurt when we were trying it. But like in a fun, good way.
1: Yeah, the first time you always um, struggle when you die right away. But the second time, you got the office, hang of it. But, yeah, yeah, it, it's really fun. It's um. One thing it just reminds me of, and um, and he and the developer, like he got this a lot. It's on the like, it's a, it just reminds me of when you're controlling the two dogs in the Sweet Day Animal Crossing minigame of Nintendo Land, where yeah. it's, where you have to split your attention between the two dogs because they're each controlled by a separate analog stick, and you're trying to capture the enemies. Right. But this one, it's 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 a little different. That's pretty much where the similarities stop. It's the fact that you're controlling two different entities with different joysticks, except this time you're actually using a bunch of buttons. So the left side of the screen is your assault side. It's like a, it's more like Galaga or those kind of games where your fi- your you, your spaceship is fixed pointing straight up, or stuck pointing straight up, and you just mm-hmm. move left and right and you're shooting at the incoming, at the incoming stop. enemies. <laughs> yeah, and you're trying to stop them because if whichever enemies you don't stop and make it all the way through past you, they appear on the right side as potential just enemies that are trying to kill your ship. But for every enemy you kill on the left side, you get more points, and it just helps out your right side. The left side does not take any damage. The right side is the one you want to keep alive. And every once in a while, if you use up too much energy shooting ships on the left side, it will the screen will go black. And then all of a sudden, you're like on a countdown before you lose. So on the right side of the screen, you have to explore around, follow your arrows so that you can find like energy cubes so that you can send them over to the left side so that the left side can keep shooting so you can keep getting points on the right side. And the risk of a part comes into play where this game is solely about getting a high score. It's, it's a score-based shooter. And if you die, you lose your score. So you have to extract yourself from the game. You have to pretty much escape with your points. It's like, a, like all right, do I keep going? Oh, do I think I'm going to lose? Okay, maybe I can go a little while longer and get some more points. Pretty much you want to be as greedy as possible. While also managing you, your expectations so that you can escape with your points.
0: Yeah, it's like almost like tiers where there's like moments where you can ideally get out. But yeah, like, but if you don't and you lose, you're never getting on the scoreboard because it does have
2: leaderboards.
1: What I thing, really so. like though, like I guess like a nice like twist on top of that is that let's say you get the number one spot on the leaderboard and you're sitting pretty, you can actually because you're essentially the game is still in play since you never died, you can essentially start a new run. But it will take your previous score and it will treat it as like a multiplier bonus. So essentially every time you continue to play, you're putting everything on the line. So if you're ranked number one in the world, but you choose to pretty much get a better score and you lose, all of a sudden your number one spot goes away. You're back to zero. Yeah. It's not a oh I did it once, it stays there forever. It's a always active it's an, yeah, it's an always active score. So the only way you can literally keep that course to retire which i like that it, yeah it, it, nothing it, it, in it, it, the game is safe
0: yeah. like nothing you do has no consequence everything in the game even even like if you just switch between the screens because there's two things going on at once whatever you're doing on one screen there are consequences happening to you on the other screen there's like rare moments where it's like look at this screen and gives you a break but it's few and far between there's always a consequence yeah and it's it's all about juggling that and it's I it very much feels like a lot of like it very much feels like kind of a bullet hell kind of game but it also feels nothing like it because there really is nothing like this like it's very unique yeah it's yeah. definitely one we're keeping an eye on I don't know actually when they're planning to release it but I want to say sooner rather than later like probably summer I think he said I, I honestly don't remember what he told us but, well, hopefully, it comes out but yeah, hopefully soon we'll we'll keep you guys posted on all these indie games and when they come out Um, I feel like I feel like ADHD kind of nicely sums up E3. Like, it was two entirely separate things happening simultaneously. You got the industry side, like Trade Event, and the Gamer First Convention. Nintendo talking about its future, Nintendo trying to make make the now a big deal. And ultimately, as evident by our now two and a half hour long podcast, one of our longest ever, I guess they succeeded. I guess E3 did it. I guess they were two things at once. So on that note, I kind of brought everything full circle and we've now reached the end of the show, which means it's time to explain our giveaway. We have an assortment of swag we got at E3: uh, Mario Tennis pins, Super Smash Bros. logo pin, two two Switch cleaning cloths, and a snazzy Smash Bros. logo t- logo towel. And if you want a chance to win all of it, all we ask is you go to ramtown.com episode 179 and leave a comment in the blog post telling us your favorite bit of E3 news. That's literally it. We'll then announce the winner in our next episode, which is coming July 8th. Where we'll also be sharing impressions of all sorts of games, Mario Tennis, Aces, Fortnite, Soccer Slammers, The list goes on and on of what we're gonna be covering, news and game wise. So don't miss it. It probably won't be as massive as a C three one, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a good follow up. I feel like. So to make sure you don't miss it, you can subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you use. And I've waited ages to be able to say this, but for those of you listening to us on YouTube for your first time, don't forget to like and hit uh, don't forget to subscribe and hit that like button. I botched it. I botched it. I can't believe <laughs> I've waited six years, and I botched it.
1: Don't, isn't there like a new thing that like you have to hit that bell? for Oh, yeah, that's or right. Something? Yeah, hit that bell so you get an alert
0: next time our episode comes up. And don't forget to like <laughs> and subscribe and leave a comment below telling us uh, what your dog's favorite food is. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but no, to be clear, the contest to win the swag we're only doing on the blog. So if you con on YouTube, it won't count. But you're welcome to comment. Just You won't win. I'm just saying. But um, podcast app users out there, you obviously can't hit the bell and you can't like the thing. But what you can do for us, which we'd appreciate, is leave a review on whatever app you use, especially those of you on either Apple Podcasts or the brand new Google Podcasts app because those reviews give us more exposure, which gives us access to do more things and contests for you. So it's Promoting all YouTube full feels cycle. weird. What? Promoting it news? does. I know. And it's funny because it's just an audio file on a YouTube page. Yeah, I mean – It's I mean, going mean, to be a static image. I can't wait. I need to make the image, but I can't wait. But yeah. it's a start. We're actually planning some cool stuff with you for YouTube down the line. So Will definitely they plan stay tuned. out? We don't know. Well, that's why it's in the planning phase. But yeah. no, we do have we do have goals and aspirations. And the easiest way to make sure you don't miss any of those becoming reality is by following us on Twitter at Randon Because whatever content on whatever platform we're gonna tweet about it. And those who already do follow us had the opportunity to win a twite our eShop gift card with a simple retweet. We have more contests coming all summer long, so seriously, like Follow us on Twitter. I mean, the episodes, this episode's swag giveaway is one thing, but like we're doing like money giveaways on Twitter. So make sure to follow us. Um, so on that note, I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W E I R O underscore O on Twitter. This has been the densely packed E3 2018 episode of the Ram podcast. You have swag twin over at ramnintendo.com. So we will see you there and we will see you in two weeks on July 8th.